Welcome to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party with my dad and my sister Mary. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the listening party. My name is David Dedrick. My name is Mary Dedrick. And, well, we were just having some fun. We Mary weren't. And I. Mary, we were not having fun. Mary was, Mary was having a good laugh. I, you and, were uh, having a good laugh. I, we were both having a good laugh, man. We were both laughing. I we were don't both believe visibly so. and audibly laughing. I don't think that's true. I'm gonna, I have it on recording. You have it on recording? Mm-hmm. You I, have it on recording. Yeah, I have it on a recorded piece of digital hmm. material. I don't okay. know how to describe it. I have it on a recording. You have it on record. Yeah, that's what I meant to say. I have it on a recording. I have it on record. Okay, that's not... All right. Anyway, what did we do on the show, Dad? Hey, everyone. Welcome to Listening Party. My name is David Dedrick. This show... You already did that. Yeah, I was just reiterating. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Listening Party. My name is... Oh, my God. (laughs) Everyone. We... I don't know what's going on here. We're doing this show on a Saturday. Yeah. We have more time than we usually do... Yeah. ...to record this show. Sure do. And Dad is really taking advantage of it. <laughs> really taking, really trying to drag out this recording. <laughs> so the idea of this show, Mary. Yes. Since you asked. I, well, yes. Is I that, have more asked for the listener. Oh, right? I see. Is that three years ago or so, maybe four years ago now, four years ago, mm-hmm. I yes. did a little project called the, the uh, wasn't really a project, but you know what I mean. I did a thing. Let's call it a project. I would say it was a project. Called the... Uh, Sneaky Dragon listening part, listening, <laughs> listening party, listen, uh, Sneaky Dragon listeners mixtape, where I invited listeners to uh, send me a CDR, and I would make them a little mixtape and send it back to them. And these are the fruits of my labor, and we've decided to to uh, do this little show together, listening to the mixtapes and kind of going through the songs and talking about them and talking about mixtapes. Mm-hmm. This is the laborious fruit. This is of the fruits of your labor. <laughs> is this laborious? This this one is. Oh. This episode is pretty laborious. Let me tell you, Mare. Yes. Uh, this I didn't realize this, but this was pointed out by listener Chris Chris Roberts it's in his email. It's our one year anniversary. It's our one year anniversary today, so you should be celebrating. Celebrate good times. Come and that's on. That's our first song of the show. Of the show. <laughs> yeah. A little chic the for song a minute there. Family by. Oh, is that family? I thought that was. I thought oh that was... no, you're right. That is Hill. That is wait. Celebrate good times. Yeah, isn't that chic? No, that's the thing of the wrong one. That's a different song. That's good times. Who did that celebrate good times? Mm-hmm. I don't know either. Someone, <laughs> someone did it. Okay. Anyway, see, that's the kind of knowledge we bring to the show. Yes. We also the kind of niche music that we bring to the niche show. Niche marketing that I like to to call. Um, was that me? Was that you dinging or me? It was you. Oh dear! I don't even have my phone on. Yes, you do, because it is dinged. No, it's it not, dang. It's not even anywhere near me. It dong. Oh, it's over here. There it is. It's over here making noises. Let me just lift it up. Put it on. Silent or oh, <laughs> what? Oh, that's great. Oh, I'll tell you about it later. Okay. Just kidding. I don't know. There's this nothing. Is, uh, this is a Facebook notification. Audio gold. <laughs> anyway, right everyone. Talking so, about notifications on your phone. <laughs> everyone, just so you know, I put do not disturb my phone because you listeners are more important to me than actual people I know writing to me on my phone. Yeah, he puts. He always puts do not disturb on after I mock him for not putting it on <laughs> when he gets when he gets a notification mid show. <laughs> Well, no one ever writes to me. I don't know what it rings for. Really, the only time I get a notification is that if someone writes to me. And it doesn't, it doesn't happen. It I, does happen. What well, doesn't, though? That's the weird thing about it. It only happens on when we're recording the show. That's true. As if the universe knows what's going on here. So, Mary, this is... Uh, when I did the mixtape project, I was fairly careful about writing down when I completed the, the mixtapes for people. 
except like the date that you yeah did yeah okay. just so I had like an idea of the time. But then I got embarrassed about how long it was taking me to do mixtapes, and so I wasn't writing down the date. Silly. That way I was being sneaky. Silly. And the person getting the tape would have no idea when I, when I finished it. But they would know because that's when they got it. Well, now that I look back at it, it was a pretty dumb idea. And they didn't plan. know when you started it. So exactly, like so, really, it was it was only for my own benefit, and then even there, it wasn't for my benefit because now it's kind of biting me in the bum because there's a few mm-hmm. mixtapes that I don't know when I did them. Okay, and this I think is this one is of those? I think this is one of those. This is this okay. is one I I did two for Dylan O'Connell, and like I said a couple of shows ago, Dylan was kind enough to send me a mix, two mixtapes of music that he loved, Australian music that he loved that I thought I pro- I'd probably never heard. And oh, and by the way, Dylan, I mean maybe I should do it here. Um, thank you for the book. I got your book only forward. It came in the mail, and I do plan to read that as soon as I can. I'm just really busy right now with the Sparks Two Coloring Project. So that is and really, your million podcasts and my million podcasts and, and your real regular full time nine to five Monday to Friday job and my real full time eight to five uh, job. Right. Sorry, forty. <laughs> your real real full time forty hour a week job. Yeah, yeah. So. Those things all take time. So when I have a moment, I will definitely sit down and read only for it. But it might not be till January, just so you know. But I, I was taking a look at it. It looks really great. So thank you for sending that to me. That is very generous of you because I know from personal experience just how much it costs to send things to Australia. And I imagine it's exactly the same sending them to Canada. So I appreciate the fact that you have taken a second mortgage on your home and gone into debt to send me a book. <laughs> so here's the, but the thing with Dylan's mixtape was that I don't know when I did it. I don't know if I did it like second i know I didn't do it first but i don't know if i did it second third i don't know where it, where it occurred and it wasn't until i was looking at the actual like physical length of this mixtape that i realized oh this is probably one of the early ones i did when i still wasn't listening to the songs all the way through and i wasn't doing like giving people like the full bang for their bucks that not that they spent any bucks but they didn't spend the money sending me the tape so that's bucks and or the cd and so but i don't know what i was thinking back then i don't know why i wasn't like doing like a full like as much, like squishing as many songs in as I could. But I seem to have some idea that if I did around that, it was good enough. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. But anyway, I soon changed my tune and started like, you know, doing like exactly as much as I could, as close to 120 minutes, the the capacity of the, of the CDR. But this is not one of them. This is missing five minutes of music. And I feel bitterly disappointed in myself that it is. But still, I hope Dylan enjoyed the mix because I think it's pretty good. It's kind of a... Um, it's almost a reaction mix, though, to the Canadian mix, hmm. which I think had a plethora, a plethora, Mary, of kind of similar songs on it. Yes. Because I was drawing from a, a, a kind of a... 15, pre- 10 to 15 years. Yeah, time, kind of a time pretty... Time yeah, time period. Time period, geographical, uh, a lot of geographically related bands, mm-hmm. and and then a nationally related bands, and yeah, and a time period as well. So kind of post-grunge which informed them even if it was a reaction against it. And so there's a lot of like that element to them. And so when I did the second one, I feel like it is kind of a companion piece to the first disc in that I kind of toned down a little bit. So there's not as much like rockin' songs on here, it right. feels to me. It feels much more kind of a, a quiet mix. It does. I was actually going to ask if this was one where someone said, I like folk music. It's not, but I do feel like because... just for that reason that because i did the canadian one and it was like so all out um you know pretty punky pretty pretty informed by that kind of music kind of rock and a lot of songs have like long guitar workouts and it was you know it and it's all what i like but i just kind of wonder if when i got to this one i was kind of like well i did a bunch of this sound now i got to kind of work it a different way and that's what i did Hmm. 
Yeah. Because this is definitely not, it's more acoustic. It's more, yes. and I would say it's necessarily quieter. There are still kind of fast, peppy songs on yeah. it. But overall, it just kind of has a bit of a more more mellow or more toned down kind of sound yeah, to it. Yeah, definitely. So. This ah, is a different vibe. It's a different vibe. That's a very good word. Thanks, dude. You're welcome. I'll pay you for that later. Great. Thank you. I appreciate I, I am <laughs> expecting that. I'll, I'll send you an invoice. Thank you. Make it official so I can write it off of my taxes. Exactly. Because uh, this... Well, it's not a tax receipt. Oh, it's not a tax receipt. No. What is it? Well, I'm not a charitable. I'm not a charitable charitable donation. I'm not a charitable I organization. I know, but because this is a business expense, I can still write it off. So oh, I would appreciate okay, okay, the okay, invoice gotcha. for. All right. For. Uh, yeah, I forgot you were self-employed here. Word suggestion charge. At the Stu Stu Studio. Stu Stu Studio. Thank you for using that word, dear. That's the first time you said it. No. Fist bump. No. Fist bump time. No. You can't. You can't leave me hanging. That's so unfair. Fist bump. Nice. So everyone, let's uh, start off with our first song here. Now that Mary's in such a good mood. <laughs> What's our first song? I don't know why you're in such a bad mood. I counted in the show twice in a oh very exciting God. way. You counted to 17. Yeah. Two times. No. I, the second time you said it, I couldn't count to 17, so I counted to 16. It makes no sense. What's that? Counting to 16? Counting to, to 17. It gives you time to prepare. It's for you, Mary. I'm I letting, was ready. I'm finding, you're finding your center place. Oh my God. Before we start the show, you know? not. Yeah. You're like, that. kind of centering... I was you know, ready to go. You're I was doing like, that thing where you like, it, you, take, you, like you take your like your your kind of like your uh, karate one, chop kind of your hand and you kind of draw it down, t- down two, the, draw it down in front of you and you kind of go. Three. You do that. Breathe nope, down. Breathe I did in. Not do that. You know, kind of calm yourself. Mm-hmm. I was giving you so much opportunity. Nope. And you didn't even do it. Oh, I was. I no wonder you're so nervous. I did not need to and do Ill that. Ill at ease and irritable. I don't think that I'm any of those things. I think that you're just a little bit, Mary. I think you're a little on edge. No, that's what I'm saying. I'm I think the listeners are going to write in and they're going to comment on this. I don't think so. I think they will. I don't think so. I think we're going to get a few messages. They're going to say, "What was up with Mary? Why was she? Why was she so irritable and on edge? Why was she so frustrated? There's nothing to be frustrated about." Dave, you are the greatest dad on earth. I don't think also, anyone's going to say the that. the greatest podcast partner that has ever existed. I don't think anyone is going to say that, Dad. I think they will. I think okay. we'll get a few notes like that. What's our first song? The first song, Mary, yes. is by a little band that I like Called to... the Beatles. <laughs> that I like to call the Beatles. No, a little <laughs> band that I like to call Super Furry Animals. Okay. And the reason I like to call them that is because that's their name. Right. And this song is called Trade Winds, and it's sort of from... Their album rings around the world from 2001. Okay. So I let's imagine we'll get into that. We could get into that unless I forget to mention it. But let's uh, let's give a listen to the song and then we'll we'll have our thoughts. Okay. How's that sound? Yes, let's hear it. Okay. So everyone, this is going to be Super Furry Animals with Trade Winds, and I hope you enjoy it. It's going to start off with some fun sounds. Feeling the children's blow, we set sail on a fickle sea floor. Stuck in a copper boat. Thank you. 
Okay, so that was uh, the Super Furry Animals, Mary, mm-hmm. with Trade Winds. What did you think of the Super Furry Animals? This song mm-hmm. won me over. Is that right? Like, uh-huh. why? You didn't like it? I didn't like it at first. Yeah. I was like, oh, okay, Dad, what am I in for here? <laughs> and then I liked it. Yeah. What didn't you like? You didn't like the beginning with the sounds a little? No, it was weird. I didn't, yeah, it was weird. I didn't know what to expect from mm. that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I go into these mixtapes pretty blind. Yeah, yeah. Or completely blind. Sure. I don't know anything about them. I don't know who they're for. I don't know if there's a theme. Yeah. You know? But I think that's kind of good. Well, besides the theme part of which would be, I guess would be helpful if I explained to you if they were themed. But I kind of like it if you are able to draw out that there was a theme. And I kind of feel like that's a listener's experience too, though. That's, they're getting this mixtape in the meal, meal, in the mail from me. I mixed up mail and me and became meal. They get, they um, get this thing in the mail from me and they don't know what it is. They, people, a lot of people wrote in, they know I like the Beatles, Mm -hmm. but they probably don't know much else that I like, Mm -hmm. really. Yeah. And they don't know that I like the Beatles, but I also really love the Stooges, mm-hmm. you know, or that I really enjoy, uh, you know, Atonal Jazz by Albert Ayler uh, or Eiler, depending sure. on who, who you talk to him about. You know, so they're going to be like, I know exactly what to expect from Dave. It's going to be all songs that sound like the Beatles, but I'm into all kinds of different sort of music. True. And, you know, which kind of reflects different musical phases of my life. And even though I'm a huge Beatles fan, there are lots of times in my life where I haven't listened to the Beatles for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, because you don't have to. No. You've heard them. They have a, a set amount of songs they have and a you set know of, them. And I know them very well. And I do like to read about them, obviously, but sometimes, you know, you just don't feel like listening to the Beatles. You feel like listening to something else that's that's different and, and weird. And this is a CD that I didn't really know. I knew of this band. And I think I liked a song by Gruff Reese, who is the, I think that's how you say his name. I, I These these guys are Welsh. So I'm just, throw, I'm just throwing this out there because I don't, because I kind of know that, why in the Welsh language has a a sound like because like the the name for for Wales doesn't look like it's not Wales it's like C C Y M R U or something like that which means like Cumru or something Cum- like that Cumru Cumru okay yeah so the Y um, has a U sound but in that in instant the, in the name Reese yeah. which is spelled R H Y S yeah it has an E sound that's right. Is that because of the H? I don't know. Yeah, it's just sort of different. So it's a little confusing anyway. So I, I'm just going to have some trouble with some of the names and things, but that's okay. So, yeah, so Gruff Reese, he, he had a, a solo song on, on a CD that I heard that I liked a lot. And so then I saw this, C, I saw this CD, um, Rings Around the World, at a, at a used uh, CD store. And I was like, oh, this band, I like that song, so I'll pick this up and, and give it a listen. And then I really like this album. Actually, I like the album okay, the songs I really liked were all on the bonus disc, which <laughs> this is one of the songs from the bonus disc. So these were not actually included on the on the album, but were uh, bonus material. But I really liked the a couple songs from there, and then there's a few songs on the album proper that I liked a lot as well. So now, do you know much about the Super Furry Animals, Mary? I know nothing about them. So you hadn't heard them before. So so did you like the song though? Like you kind of like the vibe of it. What did you like about it that kind of won you over? I liked the well. I think. I liked the name of the song. Okay. Um, Why do you like the, the name? I don't know. Wings? I just, I liked it. I okay. liked the sound of it. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I thought the vocals were, were interesting. Yeah. I liked the sound of his voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He has a great, a really nice voice. Yeah. yeah. He has a very warm voice, I think. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah and I think the, the, the harmonies in this song are really appealing. And then I, and it has a kind of a class, a classic rock sound to it, but, but it's kind of a classic rock melded with a very kind of modern feeling as well. Hmm. So there's elements where they're drawing from the past, but they're also like really in, in part of like embedded in this 
in, in the period the song the album was made 2001 namely so so in the middle of kind of like when people are still coming out of like techno culture and stuff like that was still still a thing and you had bands like stereo lab as well who were incorporating like you know dots and bloops into their into their music and and super fur animals definitely uh, have a sort of electronica element to their music so they formed in cardiff in wales in 1993 and i think they have been together pretty much as the same group ever since. So it's Gruff Reese who is the lead vocalist and plays guitar. Hugh Bunford, who is the lead guitar player. Guto Price, bass player, and a guy named Cian, sorry, or Sean, maybe, C-I-A-N, maybe that's pronounced as Sean, I don't know. Uh, Sean Sharan, Cian Ciaran. But how's his last name spelled? C-I-A-R-A-N. Kieran. Oh, Kieran? So it's, it's Kian? That's weird. So it's Kian Kieran? That's weird. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway, he's Well, I'm a... pretty sure that name's Irish, though. Oh, okay. Okay. Because Kieran is Irish. Yeah. Weird. So, oh, so maybe he's Welsh-Irish. So maybe his last name's Irish, but his first name is Welsh, and so it's pronounced differently. Maybe. I don't know. Anyway, he plays keyboards and various electronic sounds and an occasional guitar. So he's in charge of bloops. And then, uh, and then Daffid, David Ewan, hmm. is on drums. And actually, the actor, Reese Ifens. Oh. He was a founding member of the group. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And he has uh, sung with offshoots of the band since then, like in various projects <laughs> they've done on the side. He sung. But uh, so their name was taken from T-shirts that were made by uh, Reese's sister for a f- fashion and music collective called Acid, Acid Casuals. <laughs> and so she had been making these shirts and said super, super furry animals, and they liked that name. Rich, they were, um, they had a different name, and I can't remember what it was now, sorry. Um, they... Um, the Acid Casual group, I guess, or collective is sort of influ- influential enough that Superfair Animals has used it a f- few times. One in a song called The Placid Casual, and then they named their indie label Placid Casual. So they obviously like that uh, acid, acid Casual thing. So Superfair Animals are part of what the time there was a kind of like a, a blossoming or burgeoning music scene in Wales. It led to quite a few bands coming out around the same time. Manic Street Preachers being one, Stereophonics, the band Catatonia, and then Gorky zyko- zyko- Zygotic Monkey. Mm. I'm going to assume it's monk spelled. It's M Y N C I. But if if I think that the Y is a is an U sound, then it's monkey. Unless it's because there's no H before it. <laughs> That's a rule. <laughs> I don't know. So so they uh, they formed. They kind of came out of different out of different scenes. Like a few of the guys were like part of techno the techno scene and performed in a techno band and toured and stuff like that. And then some other guys were from like from a more rock um, out kind of thingy. And then What's it is pronounced monkey. Oh, is it? Okay. Are you looking up the group? Yeah. Oh, okay. And then um, who's Gorky? Is that Maxim Gorky, the, the Russian novelist? Um, or the poet, maybe? No, it came from the word gawky. Oh. Gork was a school slang for a dimwit. Oh, okay. Uh, zygotic was hijacked from GCSE biology. Okay. First, the state of being like a zygote, a yeah. fertilized egg cell. Sure. And yeah, M-Y-N-C-I is a spelling of the word monkey using Welsh spelling rules ah. rather than a direct Welsh translation and is pronounced like monkey. Okay. Interesting. After So after struggling to come up with a band name, they decided, quote, we might as well stick with the most ridiculous crap name we can think of, end quote. <laughs> that happens. So the band's debut EP, Mary, holds the Guinness Book World Record for longest for having the longest title for an EP. Oh, really? You know that little town in Wales that is very famous for having its impossibly long name? Yes. That is the name of this EP. Okay. 
But then it adds in space after the town's name. <laughs> so the town's name, of course, so the name of the album is, so I'm going to try and do it. Okay. I'm going to have to do it slowly though. Because the hardest part about w- the Welsh language, I think, is the double L, which is not pronounced like the Spanish Y. Yes. But it's pronounced as a glottal roof of the mouth thing. Oh. Like a glo, glo. Huh. So, so lan, for instance, what I would say lan is gla, glan. Like, okay. so clan almost, mm-hmm. but clan. Like, so it's really weird. So anyway, I'm going to try and do it. Here okay. we go, everyone. This is the name of the town. Glanvire Pulk Gwyn Gil. I can't do it. I can't do that glottal thing at the same time. It's really hard. Yeah. It's almost like trying to imitate that uh, languages that do the uh, click. Oh, it's yeah. really hard because you just stop to do the click and then you carry on, which they don't stop. They have to click yeah. is right in it. So I'm having trouble with it. But anyway, Gil Ga Ger Uch Win Lan Tisilio Ga Ga Gotch is the name of the town. In space. In space. Yes. You know what the town's name is, though? If translated, it's St. Mary's Church in the hollow of the white hazel near a rapid whirlpool and the church of St. Cecilio of the Red Cave. Sick. Yeah. So the band signed... So they did. They released a couple albums on the um, Welsh label Angst, a couple of EPs. Okay. And then they were playing in London and they were discovered by Alan McGee, who spotted them playing live, and, and he was the uh, owner of Creation Records. Okay. And so he signed them to the record. Now, Creation, of course, is the home of many uh, British, well-known British bands like Primal Scream, mm-hmm. Poppy Gillespie's band, Primal Scream, My Bloody Valentine, mm-hmm. Teenage Fan Club, mm-hmm. and, of course, The Immortal Felt hmm. was also signed to them. Not not initially, but later on in their career. And they had just hit it big with Oasis. So they had a lot of money rolling in. And I guess that was the perfect time to sign a band like Super, Super Furry Animals. Now, McGee requested, however, that they... The band began singing in English, to which they said we were singing in English, but their Welsh accents were so thick that it sounded <laughs> like they were singing in Welsh. It's like um, it's like the English translation of the Scottish movie Gregory's Girl. Yes, which was a they were speaking they were speaking in English. Yeah, yeah. Just not a comprehensible English outside of uh, outside of Scotland. Yeah, interesting. So Creation released the band's first three albums, but the label, which uh, half of which had been sold to Sony in 1992. Um, folded uh, when the world ran out of cocaine. Hmm. And so the record company had to stop. They just couldn't carry on any longer. Right, right. Actually, no. Uh, I guess Alan McGee, who had gone through big drug problems, but he had was suffering burnout and just was really tired of running a label. I guess it just got too big. You know, it was okay when it was just a few bands like Primal Scream and other kind of small acts like that. But once you're like dealing with a worldwide phenomenon like or a European-wide, they never really broke it too big here in North America, so I don't know if I can call them worldwide. I don't know where they, how they played in Australia and stuff like that. But but anyway, a big band like Oasis probably just kind of wasn't much fun to deal with. So so he uh, closed on creation, and of course that orphaned a lot of bands. But Sony, the half-owner of it, offered bands who were left out in the cold, offered them deals if they wanted to stay. And so Super Furry Animals signed with Epic Records. But the difference was, of course, that once you leave Creation and you sign with Epic, you got more money. So suddenly they had bigger, more resources to do this album. And so this was their first album for Epic, with the, when they, for their Epic signing. And so they kind of went into it with the idea that it was going to be intentionally more polished than their previous efforts. Like it was mm. gonna, they're going to smooth out a little bit and just make it a little more, a little more kind of radio friendly, more commercial sounding. And so Risa said that we were trying to make a blockbuster album that was going to be like the Eagles. But I would say they succeeded in making a good album, so they were totally different than the Eagles. <laughs> we were trying to make utopian pop music that had pretensions of being progressive and exciting. So the record was the first to be released on both CD and DVD. 
and may I add, it was also released on mini mini disc because it was for Sony. So Sony, of course, at that time was trying to push the mini disc, so they're right. actually putting out stuff on me. And I do have, I think I have one album on mini disc, like an actual. I can't remember what it is now. Like somewhere in my, I haven't looked at it for a long time. But yeah, I have like I bought one album on mini disc because I saw it somewhere and I was like, oh man, I gotta own this. <laughs> An actual release on mini disc. It's crazy. Um, so the DVD version features the thirty. Oh, sorry, the thirteen songs that are on the album, as well as seven bonus tracks. And it's in surround sound. And then there's accompanying videos to go along with it. All kind of like sort of lo-fi, hmm. kind of you know they are all done on a low on a fairly low budget because they needed to have so many videos made. Right. And it was pretty much just kind of like an invitation was sent out to various artists to create images around the songs. So the intention of producing the 5.1 mix uh, kind of affected the recording, though, because then they needed, they were thinking more about the sound quality of it. So so although a lot of it was recorded in Wales in a, at a um, studio called Mono Valley, Mono, Mono Valley Studios, which is near Rockfield in, in Wales, they actually, <clears throat> they also went to Bearsville Studios, which are near Woodstock in New York State, because that room had better it had better live rooms better drum rooms so they could put have more microphones set up so oh, they okay. get more of more of a you know kind of a have more options for 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 the surround sound mix so um now the producer chris shaw and with the, i think one of the things i really like about this album which more than some of the earlier albums which i also have some of the earlier albums super for animals what i really like about this album though and i think and it's because of the producer this guy named chris shaw he encouraged the band to work out their vocal harmonies before the album so before this album what they would do is they'd just be in the studio and they would just kind of sing until they kind of came up with something that would work and then that was good enough but he wanted them to like think about their vocals and kind of plan out what they wanted to do and so that's what they did and then the other thing they did in the studio they would sometimes use auto-tune to like change the pitch of the vocal lines after they recorded the track to see if if they could make like a different sort of mix that was more appealing if they could get a different kind of counterpoint and then when they kind of stumbled on something they liked then they would relearn that part and then sing it and re-record it because they didn't want to actually use auto-tune on the album right but they wanted they just used it to adjust the vocals so they could get some you know because unless you like yeah unless you can bring in like a an expensive vocal arranger it is kind of hard to do vocals on your own like, mm-hmm. like the Beatles were lucky they had George Martin who would often orchestrate the vocals for them right you know because he was able to orchestrate a new like chords and stuff like that but you know unless you have someone like a, a Brian Wilson who is like preternaturally you know has this weird ability to harmonize have mo- multiple harmonies and music in his head at the same time it's difficult for m- most musicians to to do harmonies you know, without having like written music or have someone arrange it for them. So this was like a kind of a, a workaround, which I think is kind of clever. And then the mix of old and new was also reflected in the recording of the album because they recorded onto two-inch analog tape until they had to take they were happy with. Then they would transfer that onto into Pro Tools, where then they would work on the song in there. You know, they would edit it and do and do overdubs, and that and that allowed them to do more kind of this be more finicky with with the song. You know, if they wanted like particular. Um, effects and stuff like that. It was much easier to to work in Pro Tools rather than trying to uh, punch it in in on an analog deck. And then once they were satisfied with a song, it was then transferred back onto tape for mixing. So remember a while ago I was talking about how when you used to when you first started buying CDs, they would have this little thing telling you how it was recorded and how it was mixed and then how it was mastered. And it would be like analog analog digital, right? You know. And so this one would be analog digital analog digital. This, oh, okay. This, this album. The album has its roots in classic rock, of course, as we were saying earlier. And uh, like with traditional instruments and lush harmony lines. And uh, and like I was saying, Trades, Trade Winds was not included on the album, but was a bonus disc. But I, 
But on the North American version... Was it a bonus version, track? Uh, yeah, sorry, it was a bonus track. But I bought the North American version, which they just threw these songs on just for the heck of it, I guess. So They do that a lot. Yeah, so I liked it. In fact, what's funny is like there's a lot of bands that put out albums in, in Japan, and then they always get bonus disc on the albums in yeah. Japan. It's really frustrating. It but is. in this case... Japan only got two bonus tracks, and we got seven in North America, so... Nice. That's how it should be. Suck it, Japan. Yeah, on you. Okay. Well, I'm so glad you enjoyed Super Furry Animals, Mary. Yeah. Because then I know that you enjoyed the next song very much. You already knew that, or you knew that based on how much I enjoyed Trade Winds by Super Furry Animals? No, I know that you like this band, Oh. so that you would like this song. Yes. So I'm pretty certain that you like this song. So yes. let's listen to this song that Mary liked. Okay. This is The Shins. You like the shins, right, Mary? I do like the shins. This song is called Kissing the Lipless. Yes. You do like Kissing the Lipless, don't you, Mary? I do. It's a good song. That sounds gross. Why are you kissing people without lips? Oh, Dogs you... don't have lips. Oh, yeah. It's my dog all the time. She doesn't like it. <laughs> so you got to trap her. <laughs> she also doesn't like it when I get out her eye goop. And I got to do that. Yeah. You got to get gotta get rid of the eye goop. Exactly. And this is from their album Shoots Too Narrow from uh, 2003. All right. Let's hear it. So let's give it a listen, everyone. <laughs> called to see if your back was still aligned and your sheets were growing grass all on the corners of your bed but you got too much to wear on your sleeves it has too much to do with me and secretly I want to bury in the yard Grey remains of a friendship scar
right, so that was uh, Kissing the Lipless by The Shins. Mary, do you like that song? I like that song a lot. Yeah, it's from it's from a very good album, which is called Sheets Too Narrow. Mm-hmm. We have we have talked about it in the past. So we we're have. Not, we're not going to say too much about it. We, uh, if you, as you'll remember, it was recorded in the basement of James Mercer's home in Portland, Oregon, and then they had their computer stolen by by a, a thief. Which fortunately they had a a a, 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 a copy of the a of the masters. Yeah, that was outside of that computer, but they did lose two albums. So somewhere, someone has. A computer with uh, Pro Tools on it that has two uh, the masters, masters of two Shins albums, <laughs> yeah, of the original Shin band, not the not the later phonies that we have nowadays. What the hired guns, as it were, <laughs> who are the the pretend Shins, not the original. Although it seems like most bands go through this anyway. That yeah, over time, almost most bands, not all bands, just bands that are you know the same from beginning to end. But I feel like if you reach the end. Of the road with with the original band that you are in, then you just need to retire the name and 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 then just start your own thing. You know, it could be James Mercer and the Mercerettes, the Mercies, James Mercer and the Mercies, or just call the band the Mercies. You know, but why why are you carrying on this? The Shins, the Shins were four guys mm-hmm. from New Mexico, mm-hmm. and then you know when the when you got rid of three of those guys and there's only one left, I don't think it's the same band anymore. The chemistry's I don't know if gone. James Mercer but... got rid of them. He killed them, Mary, and buried them in the back of his Portland home. That's quite Unf- an accusation. Unfortunately, the graves were stolen by a passing drug dealer or drug addict who <laughs> sold the bodies for... No. Uh, and so no, now James Mercer can never be convicted. <laughs> that's right. They, We've changed our podcast. Hab- we are now a true crime podcast. That's right. Called, because they are very popular. Called Don't Habeas Corpus Me. You've, anyway. so um, That's a long title. Don't Habeas Corpus Me? For a podcast. How about Don't Habeas Corpus Me, you big jerk? It's a legal term. Longer. It's too long? You big jerk is a legal term? Yeah. Hmm. Oh, sorry. Don't habeas corpus me, you biggest jerkus. Stupid. <laughs> All right. Now that I've been put in my place by Mary, let us continue on with our with our mixtape. Uh, so the next song. What's the next song, Dad? The next song is it's called uh, Danko Manu- Manuel. Danko Manuel. It's hard to say a name like that. If you just say the person's name... Richard Man Richard Manuel? Is that how you'd say it? I don't even know if I've ever said his name, if I just read it. Anyway, it's called Danko Manuel, uh, by the drive by truckers from their album The Dirty South from two thousand and four. We're going up in time, actually, Mary. Did you notice that? The first song was two thousand one, the second song is two thousand three, and then the third song is two thousand four. If only I'd thought of this and put a two thousand two in between the the other ones, it would have been aw- so awesome. But anyway, here are the drive by truckers with Danko Man Manuel. Did you like the song, Mary? Yes. Let's give it a listen, Mary. This song is comes Mary approved. Here we go. Let's hear it.
That was the drive by truckers and Mary. Did you have thoughts in this song? You enjoyed this song? I liked it a lot. Yeah, it's a very good song, isn't yeah, it? I thought it was very good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a kind of hypnotically <laughs> winning and it kind of really draws you in, I feel like. So do you do you know the drive by truckers? No, I don't. Yeah, no, I'm not super familiar with them either. I really only know this song really well. Um, but I guess they're kind of considered kind of alt country southern rock band. 
And they are from the South. Okay. So I feel yeah. like any criticisms they have of it are valid. They're based in, in Athens, Georgia, mm-hmm. cool. which, I, which I guess is a good musician place to live since it's a, it's a university or college town in Georgia. So you get you have that kind of you know artsy element to a town, which makes it very pleasant to live in, even if it's small, kind of like Bellingham. Which is across, which is kind of across, across the border. Across the border from us. Yeah, because yeah. yeah, it's it's small, but because it's a university town, it has a lot of cool, trendy yeah. things. Yeah, like it's got a nice, cool, independent theater, and mm-hmm. it's got a couple lots of, of couple of plus, yeah. few independent theaters, yeah. which yeah. is crazy for a town like that. Because yeah. our town, Langley, does not have an independent theater. No, neither does the much larger town next to us, Abbotsford. Yeah, the yeah. town I live in, which is very small, has a independent theater. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, they're kind of, they kind of, and then they also have a great. Uh, they have some great bookstores there. They have a great used bookstore. Yeah, used to have two great ones, but one is shut down now. I guess the sad. owner retired, but the other one is still going on. And uh, and then they have a really good, uh, mi- uh, it's kind of a mixed CD store of used and and new CDs, which is also really nice. And clunking clunking ice over there. Just drinking some water. And then um and yeah so so they got some Athens nice restaurants, nice breweries. You know, mm-hmm. it's like a fun. Yeah. place to hang out. It is nice. So, so yeah, they're based in Athens, Georgia, but they have uh, really strong ties to the Shoals region of northern Alabama. Interesting. So the member co-founder Patterson Hood is the cool son name. of yeah, it's a, it's a cool, is the son of David Hood, who is the renowned bassist who, uh, from the Fame Studios, Muscle Shoals Studios, Fame. Like hmm. he played in the, in those bands that are so well known as backing all these great albums that were made in Muscle Shoals or made at Fame Studios. Um, now, Hood co-founded the band with, with his longtime friend Mike Cooley in 1996. Before that, they had played in several bands together. One was called Adam's House Cat, then as a duo, in a, in, as Virgil Cain, then in a band called Horse Pussy, before parting ways for several, several years. Then Hood moved to Athens, and he started putting together Drive-By Truckers with the intention of luring Cooley back into the fold. So he basically put the band together as a way to get his friend to move to Athens. <laughs> I like that. So after two amusingly titled albums... One called Gangsta Billy, mm-hmm. and the other one called Pizza Deliverance. Okay, good. Uh, from 1998 and 1999, respectively, the band had kind of grown into this uh, three guitar band, like three guitar army sort of band, kind of like Leonard Skinner had three guitar players. Are you looking at the spider? Where? Is it a spider? Oh, I don't know if it's spider. It's probably just some lint or something. It's just, a, it's just moving in the breeze. <laughs> um, yeah, the band developed into a three guitar army kind of a band. Cool. And. And so then they decided they to do an album. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Three guitar me. Yeah. There you go, Mary. You're fired. And then <laughs> you can't you fire can't me. Fire me. I, I quit. quit. <laughs> <laughs> so then, um, yeah. So they started working on this uh, album called Southern Southern Rock Opera, and the idea of it was that was that tells the story of of a southern rock band called Betamax Guillotine. Uh, which and there's sort of like an analog for Leonard Skinner, so sort of a stand-in for Leonard Skinner, and sort mm-hmm. of tells the story of the Southern Rock Band on this double album, this double album concept album. But while touring the album, the band lost its third guitar player, this guy named Rob Malone, when he simply didn't show up for a performance. So mm-hmm. he just stopped. I don't know. It's weird when it's weird. Band chemistry is weird, and I guess sometimes guys, particularly young guys, who have trouble talking to each other and expressing emotion and showing any signs of weakness. You know, the best way to like solve a problem is just to walk away from it sometimes. And I guess that's what he did. But songwriter guitarist Jason Isbell, who had sat in with a group at an acoustic house party, was invited by Hood to join the group. And so uh, Danko Man- Manuel, which was written and sung by Jason Isbell, appeared on the group's next album, The Dirty South, which was another concept album, this time a 
sort of gimlet-eyed study of the romantic illusions of the South. Oh, interesting. Did you like my use of the word, the term gimlet-eyed? Yes. You're welcome. And, which is also a drink, a gimlet. I did not know that. Yeah, it's a, kind of a cocktail. But I like the term gimlet-eyed, so I had to throw it in there. Um, this album also marked the first appearance of Jason Isbell's wife, Shauna Tucker, as the bass player for the band. Well, she was the then-wife of Jason Isbell, I should say. But she joined the band just in time to replace, to start this album after the, the uh, bassist departed. And I think what really makes the song great to me is the drum part in it. It's just like this great kind of backing to the kind of very like kind of rolling part of the song. Mm. Do you know? So do you know who you know who the band is, right? The band, the band started off as the Hawks. They they were a Canadian band, mm -hmm. uh, mostly Canadian. They were all Canadian, but for the drummer who was an American from the South. Okay. Um, I don't know this band. You don't know the Hawks. Well, let me tell you a little bit about their story, Mary. Why are you telling me about the Hawks? We'll, we'll get to it. So. Now, the Hawks were a Canadian band. They were a bunch of, like, young Canadian kids who were hired to back this American singer who was living in Toronto at that time. This guy, and I can't remember his name now, but it'll come to me. Everything will come to me eventually, Mary. Because the drummer's name was, the the drummer's in the band was also from the from the South. His name was Levon Helm. And the guy they backed, the musician they backed, the singer they backed, was kind of a, this sort of a, what do you call it, like a C-grade rockabilly guy who had sort of migrated to Canada where a C-grade rockabilly guy was an A-grade rockabilly guy in Toronto, Canada, because right. they didn't have very many rockabilly cats in Canada. Well, yeah, and I mean, you know. Ronnie all, Hawkins was the guy's name. All the best all the best uh, musicians in Canada go to the... All the best Canadian musicians go to the States? Yeah. And all the worst American musicians come to Canada. Yeah. That's why the Arcade Fire in Canada. <laughs> Burn! Burn! Just also, go to an Arcade Fire, you guys are great. That's why we lost Joni Mitchell. Yeah, that's true. And Neil Young. Neil Young. Stephen Stills. Stephen Stills is not Canadian. What? It's from Texas. Really? Yeah. I think you're thinking of Bruce Palmer, the bass player in uh, Buffalo Springfield. Oh, yeah. <laughs> he also... But we've lost other Canadian. Rufus Wainwright? Mm. Kind of a mixed American-Canadian. But still, let's Born say he's here. Ours. He is kind of ours. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, so, so yeah. So the Hawks backed Ronnie Hawkins, hence the name of the band. The Hawk, Ronnie Hawkins and the Hawks. Get it? And then they met up with Bob Dylan. Okay. And then Bob Dylan got them to back him when he started to play uh, electric shows, when he when he kind of stopped doing acoustic, although he still did acoustic parts of the show. It's, it's, people don't understand the truth about this stuff. The truth is that, that Bob Dylan did two halves of the show during this during that infamous tour. The first part of the show, he came out and he sang some of like, his great, great acoustic songs. And I'm talking like Visions of Joanna, It's All Over Now, Baby Blue, were done as acoustic parts, Desolation Row. That's re three really long songs. That's a lot of stuff to remember. Mm -hmm. Anyway, and then the second half of the show, the Hawks would join him on stage, and then they would do like electrified versions of the electric songs that he'd already done on albums that people had bought. But anyway, so then, so um, the Hawks backed him. And what I should say, most of the Hawks backed him because Leon Helm quit the tour partway through because he just couldn't take getting booed every night. Mm -hmm. So he left and was replaced by this other drum, this other guy, who then was later on a character on Home Improvement, the TV show Home Improvement. He was a character or an actor? He was an actor on the show, okay. yeah. Yeah. But he played like a kind of a walk on character. It's kind of a right. it's kind of a rednecky looking dude. But anyway, so then so uh then the then this group well, so when they were backing Bob Dylan, they no longer were the Hawks, they changed the name to the band. And then when the tour ended, when Bob Dylan ended the tour and then he had his his uh, famous motorcycle crash that kind of ended up with him like in two years of uh of seclusion, the band started uh, doing stuff on their own. And sort of working up their own songs and also playing with Dylan. Uh, that became sort of the basement tapes because he would come over to their house and they had a house in um, Woodstock called Big Pink. 
because the side of the house was covered in pink insulation. (laughs) And so he would come over there and they would, they would just rehearse in the basement songs that Bob Dylan was, was working on. And, um, the, the keyboard player in the group, whose name escapes me as usual, it'll come to me, everyone. Don't worry. Eventually in the story, I'll remember his name, but he, um, he would just put on the tape machine and recorded them rehearsing. And so there's these famous tapes of them recording these songs, which have come out in various forms. There was one of the very first famous bootlegs. It was called The Great White Wonder. And it was basically all of the basement tapes, plus a few other stray bootlegs that were combined into this double album that was very famous and and was kind of one of the first bootleg albums. But anyway, so then then the band, uh, and they did songs like um, Up on Cripple Creek, and the wait, you know the songs, right, Mary? The night they drove old Dixie down. You know the wait, right? Take a load off, Mary. Take a load off me. You know that one? No. Put the weight right on me. You don't know that song? I'm kind of surprised you never heard it because I'd like to play that song. Hmm. But anyway. Maybe I have. You might have heard it. Just kind of, my terrible singing is not helping. And so then, um, yeah, so a couple of members of the band. One was Richard Manuel. And the other one was, um, his last name was Danko. I can't remember his first name. Sorry. <laughs> Richard. Nope, because that's Richard Manuel. Oh. So it wouldn't make sense if his name was also Richard Danko. That Why isn't, wouldn't that make sense? It doesn't, doesn't sound Multiple right Multiple people can have the same I know, name. but it doesn't make sense to me. Okay. Because the band was Robbie Robertson, Richard Manuel, Levon Helm, keyboard player guy, whose name escapes me, mm-hmm. and then Danko, who's, I can remember Tom. his. Nope. It doesn't matter. Anyway, so so this, so this I think the song is kind of a, because Richard Manuel was a very unhappy person. Like, he was in the band, but he, he basically drank himself to death. And then he hang him, hung himself oh, hmm. to finish it off. And I think this song is kind of about the the grind of the musician's life sort of wearing you down hmm. to where you end up in that sort of situation. Right. You know, because the band kind of had did have an unhappy history. Their sort of leader of the group, Robbie Robertson, basically kind of sold them out, kind of betrayed them in a way, I think. Hmm. And from their point of view anyway, that was the case. And And so you know, kind of convinced them that they should just stop being the band. And then he left and went on to, to work in movies and stuff. And then they were just like, well, what do we do now? And, you know, they did some solo albums and stuff, but they all had like intense personal problems, a lot of them. And, and yeah, it just was not, not great for them. So I think that that's what, that's what the song is about. That's why I wanted to tell you, talk to you about the Hawks slash the band. That makes sense. So there you go. It's all coming together. And I wish I could remember, A, what, uh, man, I wish I could remember. I don't know why I'm, my mind is gone. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I just haven't had a lot of sleep lately, so my, my brain isn't isn't quite as sharp as it, it normally is. So let's move on to the next song, Mary, so my brain can rest. And I have yes. to think about things like this. So um, this is a band I love a lot, Mary. Okay. Do you know who, you know who I'm talking about? I'm talking about Pre- Prefab Sprout. Oh, them. You do love them. I do love them. At least their first two albums. And this is from their second album. Oh, sorry, dear. What, what is it? It's not Richard Danko. It is Richard Danko? It's Rick Danko. Rick Danko. Richard Rick. Yeah. Danko. Oh my gosh. I was right. <laughs> I was right. Good I for was you. right. That's great. I'm glad I glad I argued that. Yeah. Richard didn't sound right, but Rick Danko sounds right. Also, right-ish. it's Garth Hudson on keyboard. Garth Hudson, that's right. That's right. Garth Hudson. Oh man. The keyboard maestro. I Garth am Hudson. So glad yes. that his first name was also Richard. <laughs> that's hilarious. Because I had no idea I just guessed it. And I was right. <laughs> what are the chances? The chances were that you were right and I was wrong? Well, the chances that the I... The chances that someone is right and I'm wrong are about 100%. That's uh, very true. They're very untrue. You are often right. But the chances of guessing someone's first name is yeah, pretty low. It is pretty low. That was really good. You're just being a goof, but you... you uh, it paid right, off. Though. Your goofiness did, paid off. It did pay off. That's great. It usually does. All right, everyone. To celebrate, let's listen to Bonnie by Prefab Sprout. So okay. here we go. 
So that was uh, Prefab Sprout mm-hmm. and their beautiful song, Bonnie, mm-hmm. from their album, Steve McQueen, a.k.a. Two Wheels Good, okay. from the year, the glorious year, 1986. Mm-hmm. I was two years out of out of uh, high school, Mary. Wow. I had no effing idea what I was doing. Of course you didn't. You were two years out of high school. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so uh, what did you think of Bonnie? It was. I didn't like it. Oh, really? It was very 80s. Mm. A lot of synth. Yes, it sure certainly is. A lot of synth. Yeah. Well, you were kind of kneeling. I mean, I th- I feel like the first side of this album is strong enough to overcome the synth-heavy 
production, but you are definitely nailing my feelings at the time. I mean, I still, um, I mean, this album is still kind of, I'm still okay with it. I feel like it has enough prefab sprout in it that it's still like great, but it's not as great as the first album. Hmm. Like I, their first album, I just love so much. Their first album is called Here on Sp- uh, oh, Swoon. Swoon. Yeah. Which Here on the Eerie it has and here Green, the Eerie. Green Isaac were both on those. Green Isaac 2 and, and, uh, sure, and Green Isaac Cruel. Cruel. So many great songs in there, you know. Cruel, that song. Uh, Cruel is the gospel no, no. that sets Cruel us. Cruel to be kind in, in the, the right measures. measures. You know, right. that prefab sprout song. That famous prefab sprout song. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, that, you know, I think he gave me that bit. So when, don't be cruel to a heart that's true. Yep. Yeah. Yep, that's it. Yeah. Can we think of any more songs with cruel in the, <laughs> cool, the lyrics? Cool. Uh, oh. I cannot. Oh, did Cruella DeVille have a song that she sang? <laughs> I am Cruella DeVille. I stink like an old windowsill. I don't believe 101 Dalmatians was... No, it didn't have any songs in it. No, not even, I think... Not even one where the dogs all barked in a kind of like a... I don't think most of their animal movies were musicals. Hmm. I think generally Robin Hood had some songs, amongst, but yeah, they're not really musicals. They do have they do yeah. have songs. Oh, every one of the, I'm pretty sure there's a song by Cruella Deville or something. Because even their songs, movies that weren't like animated films that weren't like necessarily musicals would have right. like a musical song in it yeah, as sort of a centerpiece. True. Same as Snow White and stuff like that. It's not really a yeah, musical. Yeah, it's not a musical. Yeah, but it has right. its famous sort of musical parts to it. So I'm I'm pretty sure that there was. But we just can't remember it now because it wasn't that great. Because like Aristocats has you know Aristocats does have a lot of songs. A lot. I a, guess a lot. Hmm, okay. A lot. It has a few. Okay. Yeah. It has well, Thomas O'Malley's song. Yeah. It has the song that the band sings. It's great to be a cat or something like that. Yeah. It has um, the song that the Goose Sisters sing. Okay. Abigail and... Entrail? <laughs> yep. That's it. <laughs> Abigail and Entrail, the Goose Sisters. <laughs> um, it has the song that they play on the piano at the beginning. Yeah, that's right. Sort of backward, like do, re, mi, fa. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. It's quite a few songs in that one. You're right. I stand corrected. That, I like that, song, that movie a lot. Yeah, it's very good. So, yeah, let's talk about this, because this song is kind of problematic. And I, it kind of marks, for me personally, the da- the downfall of, of Prefab Sprout as a, as a band. Interesting choice for a mixtape. Well, I did still like the song a lot. Okay. Like, I really like the first side of this album. I think it's it's uh, just a, a real little kind of mini masterpiece of great, a great songwriting. Uh, the fact that I think this production is flawed is different than the song being flawed. Oh, okay. But I think that the, for me personally, and I know that you, you don't like 80s sound very much, so you're much, you're going to have a harder time with the song than me who grew up in the 80s. And I can listen to the song and go, well, at least it doesn't have like the big slapping drums. Right. It's not like huge synth washes. You know, it's not, it's not like obnoxiously synthesized. Like the synthesizer in the song is very, you know, it's very much an organic part of the song in a way. Like, you know, like it's kind of like a distant sound at the beginning of the song where it's just sort of like almost part of the wind. And then when it is in the song, it's more, it's not, you know, it's just not obnoxious. It's just like a small kind of like a figure played on the synthesizer. And I'm not deathly opposed to synthesizers either. I just feel like they were overused in, in the 80s, you know. So, uh, well, so let's just talk about, let's just talk about a little bit of the history of this song. So after the release of Prefab Sprout first album, Swoon, they lost their drummer, this guy named Graham Lant who was kind of on loan from another band, but wasn't really married to that band either. He just decided he wasn't that interested in being like a uh, working drummer in a band. He would he kind of returned to session work. So they needed 
They needed a new drummer, so they had to go like on a search, and they finally found this guy named Neil Conti, who was on this album. And now that the band was signed to CBS Records, which happened after they finished Swoon, and CBS liked the album Swoon enough that they signed Prebout Sprout to them, their A&R man, this guy named Muff Winwood, who's kind of a... Hilarious f- name. Yeah, and it's kind of a famous A&R guy, because he worked for Island, then he worked for CBS, worked for Island Records for a long time. He was like, you know, he's kind of like Nick Drake's A&R guy, for instance. And he... As, oh, uh, as much as you can be a and R for someone who doesn't know. Oh, artisan repertoire. Okay. So it kind of by that point in in the music business, it kind of lost its its original meaning. Like the original idea of an A and R guy was he was almost more important in the group, in the record company hierarchy. So the A&R, artisan representative person was the guy who brought in the band. He contracted the session musicians and stuff like that who came and played with the artists. So he kind of didn't produce it, but he kind of conducted the 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 overall kind of production of the album. So was he kind of like their agent? He would choose the songs, but no, he, but he worked for the record company, so he wasn't an agent of the band. Oh, he didn't represent okay. the band. He oh, represented okay. the record company. Gotcha. So his interests are the record company's interests. So he wants you to put together a good-selling album. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't care that about your artistic rep- artistic expression. Right. So you're going to be like, well, I don't want to do this song. This song is so... I don't want to do... Uh, you know, how much is this dog in the window? This song is horrible. And he'd be mm-hmm. like, listen, this song is going to sell a million dollars. Like this song, yeah. Everyone's going to love this song. I, I want you to sing it. You know, and not only do I want you to sing it, you have to sing it because you are under contract to the record company. I'm your A&R guy. I'm telling you what you have to sing. Sing it right now. Right. And so you did. And it, he's probably right. It mm-hmm. would sell like a million copies. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, you feel like you just, you know, ate the dirtiest thing you've ever eaten in your life, you know, and just <laughs> sold your soul to the devil in order right. to do this, right? Like in Josie and the Pussycats, the movie? That's right. So that's an example of like what, what a tr- kind of true A&R guy is. By the time of Muff Winwood's you know, by the time in the 80s. Or also, the... can I quickly say, sure. we should rewatch Josie and the Pussycats to me. Okay. It's a very good movie. has Alan Cumming in it as well. It does. He's always good. So, and I think Seth Green is in it very briefly too, isn't he? Uh, yes, He's one he of the is. members of the band. He's that, one of the uh, members of yeah, the, the band at the beginning the, and the be- end. Uh, him and also the guy from Scrubs. Oh, Donald Faison? Yeah, Donald Faison. Okay. Um, yeah. Turk from Turk. Scrubs. Um, so, so, by the time of Muff Winwood, you... They were kind of still, they was they were kind of, at that point, they weren't so much in control of what was happening, but they were still the label's representative to the band. So they're there to kind of represent the ba- the label's interests and keep the band uh, as a saleable commodity. Mm-hmm. You know, so if, if, for instance, if, for instance, Patty McAleen from Prefab Sprout decided after they did Steve McQueen that he wanted to release an album right away of kind of rough and ready songs that they recorded really quickly... And wanted to call it protest songs, they would say, no, don't do that. Because you're going to get in the way of the product that's out there right now. You're going to confuse the uh, the, the, uh, the audience. And we still want to tour on the strength of your album. And so you're not going to put this album out. And so that album doesn't come out. It doesn't come out for another five years. Because this really did happen. Uh, the band recorded really quickly uh, without a bunch of synth stuff on it. And just, just did a kind of quick album of, of kind of just rocking songs. But it was never released at the time because... CBS Records didn't want to step on their own toes, you know, and they had this album out and they were still promoting it and they didn't want to have another one come out. And then he did an album in the late, or the early 90s, late 80s, early 90s. Uh, I can't remember the name of it now. Something about the mu- music for the world or whatever. And But he had, he'd been listening to gospel music, so he incorporated a lot of kind of like religious overtones into the songs. Not necessarily because he's religious, although he did go to Catholic school, but more because he just was like using the 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 idiom of, of gospel music in his songs and the record label wouldn't let him put it out because it was too religious. So the record label has its, you know, its own, um, 
interests at, at heart over the artist's interest in expressing themselves. So that was what Muff Winwood's job was. So he, and Muff Winwood is very well known. He played in, he played in uh, the Spencer Davis group with his brother, Stevie Winwood, who, of course, is a very famous musician in his own right. One of those kind of super talented multi-instrumentalists, you know, plays piano, guitar, bass, drums, whatever you put in front of him, he'll play it. Writes great music, has a fabulous voice. Is like the, one of the great blue-eyed soul voices, you know. But anyway, so uh, he began the process, Muff Winwood began the process of kind of smoothing out the band's rough edges to sound more acceptable to 1980s mainstream listeners. That's his, that's his goal, right? Right. So, because Prefab Sprout had started off as a trio with Patty McAloon, his brother Martin McAloon on bass, and their friend Mick Salmon on, on drums. Salmon? Yeah. Good last name. Yep. And then they were joined by Wendy Smith as the doing like kind of backing vocals. And at that point, Mick Salmon left the group because he felt like it was going to change in ways that he didn't feel like he'd be part of it anymore, the way they had been. Because the original idea of the band was, you know, Patty McLean did write all the songs, but he would bring the songs into the rehearsal stage, mostly finished, but ready for the band to contribute to the final product. And that was kind of changing where he was bringing them in and it was pretty much finished and they just were expected to play what was there. And I guess Mick Simon didn't really like that very much. And so he left. But I think when he left, that was sort of the end of Prefest Pro Mark One. And, and Swoon continues in that sound. It continues the Mark One sound, even though there's not Mick Salmon there anymore, but he's playing songs that were developed, you know, in that situation. So we get to, um, so now we have like, uh, Piero Sprout now are like under the influence of CBS Records who have a particular sound they want, which is an 80s sound. And so the group went from recording an album for 12 pounds an hour in a studio in Newcastle or Sunderland or wherever they lived. Mm-hmm. He lived in County Durham. So I'm not too sure what like the major city would be around there. But so with a local friend as the producer, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. to now they're in an $850 pound a day studio in London recording with a professional producer yeah. who's worked with big bands, big groups. So the group initially worked with, with a producer named Phil Thornally, who produced the single When Love Breaks Down and... You know, and it's you know it's a very moving kind of slow song, and he he got um, he took Wendy Smith's vocals and he got her to sing various vocal lines, and he created like almost like a vocal organ that he could play, kind of like in the song "I'm Not in Love" by 10CC, mm-hmm. which has these super lush, sung in the background vocal lines that that are almost like a mellotron that's most playing playing like on a keyboard, and he kind of added a similar idea but using her voice her voice in it. Cool. And But unfortunately for Thornelia, he had a minor disagreement with Martin McAleen doing the recording over whether McAleen's bass was good enough or not. And he thought it was fine, and, and McAleen wanted to re-record it. Mm. He's like, well, we're paying $850 a day, or £850 a day. Mm-hmm. It's fine. We don't need to do it. Mm-hmm. And then when McAleen protested, he said, who's the producer here, you or me? Yeah. And that was like the extent of their fight, but mm-hmm. it was enough that the band didn't really like want to work with them again after that. Oh, wow. And so, so when would... So Thomas Dolby had already been kind of mooted in the past as a possible producer for the next album. In fact, he expressed interest in doing it after he heard the song Don't Sing on a kind of a listening, like a show on the radio where you listen to singles and talk about them. And he really liked Don't Sing, which came from Swoon. And so and so he put together like a, a sample, like a kind of a, like a, like a sample or what do you want to call it, audition tape or whatever, a production. And he sent it to, to Kitchenware Records. You know, saying he was interested in producing the next album, but Kitchenware Records and previous world were kind of like, "What the blinded me with science guy? Like, what is he going to bring to our sound?" So they were like that all keen on it. So that didn't happen at the time. But now that Thornelli was out of the picture, Winwood suggested Dolby again, going so far as to arrange a meeting 
where Dolby visited Paddy McAloot at his home in, in County Durham. And so there, McAloot played for Thomas Dolby, and Thomas Dolby recounts in his uh, autobiography that he figured out why Paddy McAloon's chord structures were so weird. And he said, because he would just play the same chord until he finished the lyric, the, finished the lyric line, then he would change the, the chord. So it was just kind of a w- different way that most people would do their, their chords, which, you know, are based like around the, so they don't base their, their chording on the lyrics. They base it on the tune. Whereas Paddy McAloon based how he changed his chords it's to the lyrics of the song. Do you know what I mean? So it's kind of mm-hmm. weird. It's more a little backwards where the words have almost more importance than than the than the music. So Patty McAloon gave him about 40 to 50 songs that he had written to choose from. And Dolby chose his favorites. Curiously, he ch- most of the songs he chose were from were written in 1979, 1980. Those were the ones he chose for the album. And he so Patty McAloon also ca- often calls Steve McQueen um, Thomas Dolby's album. Since Dolby chose the songs for it, it's the album that reflects his taste more than it reflects Patty McAloon's, which is weird because Patty McAloon wrote the song, so it wouldn't reflect your taste as well. But anyway, uh, and then he had McAloon make demo recordings so that he could make arrangements based on on these demos. Then the band rehearsed for a while at a studio in London, which you know was unthinkable for them only a couple years before when they were, uh, you know, a small band playing little performances here and there around around their home hometown. Now here they are in London getting a studio to rehearse in. They're not even recording in it. They're just rehearsing. And then uh, Dolby took on the considerable task of getting McLean to simplify his complex arrangements, which is another problem I have with this album, is that it's in no way as, as weirdly frenetic and and all over the place as Swoon is in its, in its music in some, in, at some points. Just because, you know, Thomas Dolby just kind of said, listen, I love your songs. It's just too complicated, though, for people. So you need to simplify arrangements. So they did the rehearsals at this place called Noma Studios in West London. And then they went to proper recording sessions at another place called Marcus Studios. And so Bonnie was written by, by Patty McAloon as a reflection on his, on his father, who was sick at the time and was thought he might die. Hmm. And so he was kind of imagining his father dead and, and how he'd feel about it. Oh, wow. So that's, what's that? Oh, that's a lot. It is a lot. It's interesting. And it's kind of curious because the song was written when he was like 21, 22. And I was thinking about this afterwards. I was thinking, what a what a callow age to be writing a song that deep. But then I was thinking, don't most bands, are most bands around that age when they're writing their, those kind of songs? And I think it's partly because we haven't actually had the life experience yet. And so our feelings about them aren't really formed. So the song lets, you know, music and or whatever we're doing, art lets us kind of process those feelings in a, in a way that we, that we, we can't if we actually go through it. You know, because when you actually go through it, it, you just feel dead. Yeah. Like you just, you can't process anything because you're just, it's so hard because the emotional rawness of it is so, so difficult. But it's, yeah, it's curious for, that for many artists who have never gone through a big breakup or never gone through like a huge divorce or never had someone important to them die in many cases, <laughs> that allows them to kind of explore that in a way that they couldn't if they actually had gone through it. But there we go. Unlike you, Mary, Miss Ice, Icebreaker over there. I was trying to drink it. Mm-hmm. Quiet. Um, yeah, I, I really do. I really do like that song a lot. I like, but like I say, I think, I think almost every song on the first side is this fantastic, but I do really think the second side breaks down more because the songs get kind of slow, slower and more kind of, and less song structured, but more kind of like, more about like, I don't know, I can't explain it. They're just, they're just kind of slower and more, more kind of about sound rather than about like, uh, melody and, and lyrics. 
That makes sense? Yes. I was nodding. Okay. A bad... Uh, bad podcast habit. Bad affirmation on a podcast. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Mm. Hmm. Mm. I'm nodding appreciatively. appreciatively. Mm-hmm. All right. So shall we move on to the next song here? All right. So this is... I uh, nodded again. Oh, yes. That's terrible. <laughs> Especially when we truncate silence. So it's just like... Oh, right. So... Uh, like, let's move on. Okay. And we're like, hold on. <laughs> hold on. That was real fast. So um, this is uh, Sharon Van Etten. From her album, Are We There? from 2014. And the song is called Nothing Will Change. Oh, and I just realized these last two songs broke my uh, 2001, 2002, 2004, or 2001, 2003, 2004 thing I was got going on. So anyway, this is, uh, this is Sharon Van Etten. Let's give it a listen. So that was Sharon Van Etten with Nothing Will Change. And Mare? Yes. Do you have thoughts on this song? I liked it. That's your thoughts? 
Yeah. My notes were, my notes said, good. <laughs> I didn't have much of a chance to make a lot of notes. Okay. This, this, okay. Uh, that's this fine. Mix, that's but... fine. I did kind of spring it on you late. A little bit. And that's fine because uh, I have feel the same way. I mean, it's a really good song. I really like it. That's why it's on this mix. I think she's a wonderful singer. She's much better known now than she was when I put this song on the mix because she uh, was an, an she also works as an actress oh. and she acted in the TV show The OA, a show I like a lot. Really? On Netflix, yeah. Who was she in The OA? She was the girl in the cells with with the uh, with um, the OA. And now that I'm asking, I realize that I don't remember much. About- well, do you? I mean, I don't want to give away too much about the show because I think it's rather wonderful. And if people have, out there have not seen it, it's a fantastic show. It's just a real mind-blowing show. And the first season is really interesting. I've only watched the first season. The second season is mind-blowing and how, how much it expands on the idea of the first first season. But yes, yeah, she plays a young woman who is trapped with the OA in a situation and she sings in the show. Hmm. And that is Sharon Van Etten playing that role. Good for her. Yeah, she's very good in it. And she's also sang in this, the uh, season of Twin Peaks The Return. She was in season uh, episode six uh, and sang in the Roadhouse. So, so yeah, so she's had a couple of, yeah, so she's had a couple of, of appearances. So people kind of know her better than, than they would have at the t- this time. Although this was her fourth album, but actually she had self-released five handmade CDs uh, starting in 2005 before she ever, before she ever released her debut album on a conventional label. So cool. in a way it's her, her ninth album. And, um, yeah, she produced the album herself with, with uh, kind of a well-known producer engineer, this guy named Stuart, Stuart Kerman. But that's about all I have to say about it, besides that she's from New Jersey. You know, she just hasn't... There's no big stories about her, in other words. Like she yeah, just hasn't, she's young. She hasn't she's done young. a lot she hasn't, recent. And that's good. She doesn't have any disasters in her life that are interesting to talk about in the show. Yes, true. Just her music, which is we wonderful. We usually do not have much good... We don't, we don't usually have many good things to say that have happened in people's lives. Yeah, there you go. So though that so yeah, I really I like her a lot. Obviously, I put her on my mix, and I'm gonna stand by this song. That's all I have to say. Some of these songs, you know, like when I did these mixes, like Super Furry Animals are an example where you know, like before I did this mix, a little while, like uh, you know, a week, two weeks, or a month before I did this mix, I bought a bunch of CDs at a used CD store on spec as per usual, and some of them I loved, and a lot of them ended up being used sometimes many times on these mixtapes. So uh, this is not the first to be first super... F- I mean, this is not the last, I should say. This is the first, but this is not the last super furry animal song we'll hear from this album because I really enjoyed some of the songs on this album. And so I made a point of, of putting them on stuff just because I was really grooving them at the, grooving on them at the time. If I was making the mix CD now, I probably wouldn't include them because they're kind of out of my head now that, that it's, you know, couple, you know, four years in the past. And I would have different songs that are like, I'm really enjoying right now. So, so Yeah. So let's go on to a song that I know Mary loves, everyone. This is a song for Mary. I didn't put it on here thinking, oh, Mary will enjoy the song. I just put it on here thinking, Mary loves the song, and other people will love the song too, because I love this song. I do love this song. So let's give it a listen. This is Rita Lee with her band Tutti Frutti mm-hmm. from uh, the 1975 album Frito Prohibido, which of course means forbidden fruit. And here we go with Otoke. Uh, in Portuguese, is the touch. Hmm. I thought it meant the toque. No, it does not refer to a toque. Let us listen to the song, everyone. (laughs) 
Uh, so what do you think of that song, Mary? I should say that was this that was really is yeah one of my top ten songs. Is that right? Yes. Why do you like this song so much? I really like it. Yeah. I don't know. It's got so many like, fun things in it. It's very fun. Yeah. It's very enjoyable. I very much like it. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. It just is. Yeah. Yeah. The guitar is great in it. The organ is great in it. Yes. The singing is great in it. Yes. 
I think it stops and starts, right? It has a, it stops and then it starts up again, or am I think or I mixed up? Maybe I, don't I mixed think so. up. It doesn't do that. Okay, it just has so many little fun things in it, though. It I does. just love the. Uh, I just like the kind of interplay between the instruments. Yeah. The kind of trade offs and things that happen. It's in got the song. like a great start, mm-hmm. which just like jumps right into being fun. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's a super fun song. And what's funny is when you read about this album, no one ever mentions this song. What? Yeah. They talk about Ovelia Negra, which is Black Sheep, which is more like her most famous song, which is right. kind of like a song for the outsider. And I can see why that song resonates with people. They'll talk about uh, rock and roll. They'll talk about um, other songs. You know, talk about other songs. I can't think of the name. Sorry. Because they don't speak Portuguese. Some of the song titles don't stick in my head, which is mm-hmm. unfortunate. But they, um, they don't... Uh, are they, I speak Portuguese enough that I was able to do my research on this album using Portuguese wiki. Hmm. Which cool. was nice because I could get way more information about the albums oh, from bet. there than I could from, yeah. from the English wiki. The English wiki's like, yeah. Ridley is a singer. Yeah, that's basically it. <laughs> Italy is a singer from Brazil. She is, well, she is best known for da-da-da-da and a list of her albums. You're like, oh, great. Thanks for that information. So, Whereas you go to, yeah, you go to the Portuguese wiki page and it's just like, blank. <laughs> this woman we love. The queen of rock and roll. This album was so popular in... in uh, Brazil, it, this gave her the, the title, the Queen of Rock and Roll, actually. Good for her. Or the Queen of Rock. She's fantastic. So in 1972, Rita Lee, who's actually born Rita Lee Jones, uh, apparently her ancestors, Mary, mm-hmm. emigrated to Brazil from the United States. Really? From the south of the United States after the Civil War. Interesting. For not a very good reason, I don't think. Do you know oh. what the reason was? Probably because they still had slavery in Brazil at that time. Oh. That's unfortunate. But they did. They did. So she's kind of remarkable in that she's Brazilian. I don't know if that's remarkable, actually, because I, when I think of Brazilian people, though, I think of I think of dark-haired. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's who you kind of think of when you think of Brazilian people. They're dark-haired. Mm-hmm. They have tans because they live in this, uh, you know, kind of uh, equatorial place. Yeah. But Rita Lee is fair-skinned, huh. fair-haired, blue-eyed. Mm-hmm. So that's a bit different, I think. And that could just be her American heritage. That's probably or, her American heritage. Or there's a big German population as well that that live in parts of Brazil because I mean, there is. In, if you go to <clears throat> southern Brazil, it's very much an alpine. Alpine, um, what do you call it? Ecos- ecosphere, whatever. Mm. I think, Ecology. I think. Um, I think called? environment. I think another thing is in North America. Yeah. Uh, as a well, North America and South America. Yeah. Um, colonization in those two different continents. Yeah. Had very different views on um, miscegenation. Yes. Or race mixing. Yeah. Uh, it was a lot. It's a lot, lot, lot more common in. Um, in Latin America. Mm. It's much less common here. Okay. It was more, people were more apt, people were less apt to culturally intermingle with indigenous communities here. Okay. Whereas they were very likely to do that in the Americas. Mm. So well, there were laws against it here. Were there laws against it in, no. in South America? Okay. No, it was like um, the, I believe in Latin America, um, people who are mestizo, yeah. who are part indigenous and part um european part mm-hmm. white yeah. are the most common okay so people who are i don't know it, it, there's there's just there's some really interesting uh sort of cultures there whereas in um north america in some ways it's harder to be a person who is um like mixed race yeah and white and indigenous yeah whereas in latin america it's much harder to be someone who is full fully indigenous huh, interesting um, and it's very, very common for it to be mixed, mm. but there are lots of places where, um, being fully white was, uh, very, um, rare, not rare, 
precious. Oh, prestigious? Prestigious, yes. Okay. Like in um, in Puerto Rico, mm-hmm. before it became a part of the United States, yeah. uh, churches would keep books of people's heritages yeah. all the way back. Yeah. So if, a fam- if two families were getting married, they would be able to prove that uh, they were white okay. this many generations back. Wow. Uh, which they got rid of when they became a part of port of of the USA. Wow! Because they were like, well, we're part of the USA now, and the USA is not racist, oh. <laughs> so we can't do this anymore. Oh! And then, so then they were part of of the USA, and then people started going there to work. Yeah. And then they came home, and they were like, hey, they're racist too. <laughs> we can keep doing this, so they kept doing it. Okay. But they stopped for a while yeah. because they joined the USA, and the USA was very much like, we're not racist. Yeah. We don't do slavery. Yeah. We don't have segregation now in most places. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. Interesting. What a shock that must have been. I'll go to that place. There's no racism. <laughs> and they're like, cool. What? And I'm being like, treated like dirt. Yeah. And they're like, but I'm white. Look at my, <laughs> look at my book. See? Wait all the way back to when I came over from, when my great, 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 great grandparents came over from Spain. Nope. No, you speak Spanish. <laughs> oh, terrible. Yeah. It's all terrible. People. Come on, people. All all of that. All of it is terrible. Everyone knows that Spanish is a beautiful language. It is. So is Portuguese, by the way. Yes. And speaking and of Portuguese. So are all cultures. Yeah. Pretty much. Mm. I'll go with you. I'll go with you part way. I mean Mary. I don't think that Mary, you are There's Swedish people out there. You can't let like, go all cultures. I'm just I'm just saying. You can't Just kidding, Swedish people. That was a joke. <laughs> just kidding. You guys You, you guys know, rock. You guys know what I mean. You guys also rock. You know? We've had some we've had some all Swedish on the show, haven't we? Or maybe not yet. We will. No, we have, because we had Ekdit, the uh song by Dunyan. Swedish. Love Swedish. Woo! Okay. Dad just did a what sign? Rock on? Rock on sign? Horns, devil's horns, rock on. Woo! This is hang loose. Thumb, pinky finger, out at angles. But then if you do your four your forefinger and your pinky finger, that's rock on. That's rock on. Right on. And then if you do your thumb and your forefinger, but quiet. then with your f- two fingers and your thumb forward, Touching it looks like thumb? a dog. Like a dog, and that's quiet, quiet coyote. Quiet coyote. Okay. <laughs> so, Rita Lee, in 1972, Mary, something mm. terrible happened to her. A couple mm. terrible things happened. One, but I think most terrible for her was she was uh, kicked out of the seminal Tropicalia band, Us Matanches. Oh, what a sad... It, has been, it was said at the time that she was thrown out of the band because she wanted to play Moog synthesizer on songs. But she had uh, got the synthesizer when she was visiting California, when the band took some, uh, spent some time outside of Brazil after Gil Gilberto and Caetano Veloso were arrested and exiled. Gilberto Gil. What did I always say? Oh, Gil Gilberto? Gilberto Gil, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> and um, yes, so they spent some time away and she bought a synthesizer and she brought it back and she thought, this, this will sound great in our songs. And they're like, mm. And she played in a couple songs and they're like, mm. But then it's also worth noting that in that year, Lee's marriage to fellow band member Arnaldo Baptista had collapsed, which may have had something to do with her sacking. Yes, and Arnaldo Baptista was not just a band member. Yeah. He was also a songwriter in the band, was he not? That's right. So, But they, she wrote songs as well. She did. Uh, they all wrote songs. Sergio Diaz also wrote songs. Yeah. But he was like kind of the band leader. Yeah. And it was he and his brother, Sergio Diaz and mm. Arnaldo Baptista, and... Rita Lee, I guess, was on the outs at that point, and so she was left kicked out of the band, and so she was very depressed, and she locked herself up in her house and decided to abandon her career. But because artists are artists, she was still writing songs, <laughs> and so the first, so what she did is she formed a duo, an acoustic duo, with her friend, a woman named Lucia Turnbull, <laughs> who was a 
father was Scottish and her mom was Brazilian, so mm. she has the last name Turnbull. And so she had provided backing vocals on the, the Rita Lee slash Matanches album, O Oje e O Primero Dia do Resto de Suvia. Do you know what that means? Oje is today. Okay. Oje e O Primero Dia do Resto da Sua Vida. What do you think it means? Today is the Primera? Primero, I should say. First? Day of the rest of your life. That's right. Nice. Uh, which had come out as a Rita Lee solo album, but the reason it came out as a Rita Lee so- solo album is because Os Matanches had put out an album that year called Matanches in the in the Planet of the Comets, it was called. I can't say it in this Portuguese, I'm sorry, everyone. But uh, Suas Beretas or something. And then... Um, but then they put that album out, and then they wanted to put out this album, and the record label was like, you can't put out this, two albums in a year. That's crazy. You so, have to do them one, one a year. That's that's sensible. Yeah. Which nowadays, people were, the record label was like, you can't put an album out every year. You have to put an album out once every three years. Everyone knows that. Sure. But so they said, okay, well, we'll put it out as a Rita Lee solo album. Hmm. So they did. But it was really just a Montanches album. But anyway, so Lucia Turnbull had sung on that, and she also did some opening. Uh, she also opened for them on their on their tour for that uh, as an opening act. So they put together a project that they called Celebrinas do Eden. Celebrinas being Mutantis slang for weed. Oh. And when, so, you know, they rehearsed together and got everything all ready and then they were invited to go to this this uh, festival called Phono 73, which was like all the, 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 the best of the best. Everyone was there. George Ben was there, Gilberto Gil, Caetano Veloso, Gal Costa, and the Mutantes. And what's really great is the festival put them on as the opening act for the Matanches. Hmm. So this is perfect. Rita Lee opening for her former band Ugh. that she got kicked out of. Ugh. And then they were booed by the by the crowd because they were just two ladies playing acoustic songs wow. at a rock festival. And she realized at that moment that this wasn't going to work, that they needed a, she needed an electric backing band yeah. to back her. And so she turned to a band that she had met called Lysergia, which was a reference to lysergic acid, of course. Of course. And the first thing she did was say, we have to change your name because we can't have a band called Lysergia. <laughs> so uh, they tried to think, find a name for a while. And then she was doing this show, um, which was like a multimedia show. It had all these kind of elements to it. And so it was called Tutti Frutti, which is a reference to the ice cream, which is a very kind of full of a bunch of stuff ice cream. Mm-hmm. And so then she thought, well, why not call the band Tutti Frutti? Because it's just full of stuff and it's interesting. And so that was the band's name and it rhymes yeah so the band's initial recordings which was basically re-recording of some celebrinas to eden material and some new songs written by lee with their new bandmates so they did this well their first plan actually was because they did like a bunch of live stuff because she had uh, dates to fill to and she had like you know she had to fulfill these dates so they did this tour and their first thought was to use live material from that to to release uh, release a record on phillips and Philip said, no, we don't want live stuff. We want it like a studio album. So then they went to the studio and they recorded a studio album. And Philip said, this is no good. Your drummer sucks. We want a new album. And then they fired the producer, whose name was Laminia, who is uh, the bass player from uh, Us- Usmatanches. And then they wouldn't release any of the singles that they wanted to release. And so really got so angry that she went into the, to the uh, president of the Philip's or Phillips Brazil's offices and she trashed them. <laughs> and then um, then they recorded uh, the material for that would make up the, their first album, their debut album called Atras do Porto Tem Um Cidade. Do you know what Cidade means, Mary? It's no. City. Oh. So it's hmm. behind the port, behind the harbor, mm-hmm. there is a city is the name of that Wait, album. Wait, what's port? Porto. Oh, it's the same as Spanish. Mm, basically. There's a... It is the same. 
that's where port comes from from Porto in uh, Porto in uh, in Portuguese in Portugal there's a hmm. city called Porto which is a port city Porto Vallarta Porto Vallarta well, that's Puerto you're thinking of P U E R T O Oh right yeah hmm. I know all these languages there's cuz they're all come come from roots yeah. they all have very sim- similarities but they're always different slightly Yeah like Spanish is to speak as hablar but in in uh, Portuguese it's falar hmm. So it's different. So, and then they, and I can never do it right, but they always pronounce an O with a, with kind of a U sound. So like they don't say follow, they say falu. Oh, okay. Huh. For, for I speak, follow, falu. But I, I have trouble with languages. You don't have trouble with... I have trouble um, pronouncing them properly. I have trouble mastering the seven languages that I understand. Yeah, that's right. I have trouble exactly what it is. It's very, dis- this is very disappointing. So, uh, yeah. So what happened was, so yeah, they recorded... So yeah, sorry. I just got distracted by my inability to speak the seven languages that I that I can't speak. But once again, the record label stepped in and made a fuss. So they didn't like the drumming. So they, they made them re-record the drum beds using different drummers. And then unknown to the band on this song called Menino Bonito, which means cute boy, mm-hmm. uh, which was a duet with two guitars and the voices of Rita Lee and Lucia Turnbull. The label removed Lucia's voice and then added pink, a piano, strings, and bass to the song. Which prompted Lucia to leave the band. Cause she mm. just felt like, well, they're not, they don't need me in this thing. Aww. So she left. So Poor Lee and Lucia. The, yeah, which is too bad. Because then Lee and the band signed a new deal with a different label called Som Libra, which is Free Sound. And they gave them, as their name implied, they gave them complete creative control. And that's when they created the, this great, they went on to do Frito Prieto. But at that point, Lucia Turnbull had left the group. So she was not on that album and not on this song. So there you go, Mare. I mean, sad for Lucia Turnbull. Yeah. But mm-hmm. the song is fantastic. The song is fantastic. And any changes to it yeah. would not be good. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Uh, it was on the first album. that This this album was done for, for Sam Libre, and they just did it. They were just like, whatever you guys do is going to be great. Or Sam Libre, I should say. This, this uh, is going to be great. That's basically their attitude to them, is the right attitude. Yes. All right, Mare. Enough about Rita Lee. As great as she is, we'll we'll hear from her ag- again. I'm quite oh, certain. Oh, I'm sure we will. But let's listen to the curiously titled band Death Vessel. Okay. And their song Bruno's Torso. Their curiously titled song. Yes. Bruno's Torso. Yes. And here we go, everyone.
So that was Bruno's Vessel? No. I'm sorry, that was Death Vessel? Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. No worries. <laughs> I was just making a portmanteau of it, just getting it over yeah. it quickly. The song and the band are the same, I mean, same name. they're both nonsense. Yeah, They're that's both true. like nonsense combinations of words anyway. That's true. Um, that was Death Torso with Bruno's <laughs> Vessel. So Death Vessel is basically, it's not even a band. It's basically just one guy Okay. who works with a bunch of people. Uh, no, no, mostly this guy named Pete Doherty, and who played with like NRBQ and bands, and kind of like a sort of a, a gun for hire. Hmm. And they did the first, his, the Death Vessels' first and second album were produced by Doherty, and it's kind of like a catch as catch can kind of production technique where when they both have free time, they would get together and lay down some tracks and and use friends and and people they know as as part of the part of the group. So so yeah, so there you go. I don't have much more to say about it, but I just think it's a nice song. Yeah, I Des- liked it. Despite its weird title, it doesn't really... I, I was thinking they're maybe going for like the similar, the O ending in both words. Okay. Bruno, torso. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Not a lot of words end with that O sound. Mm. But yeah, I like the song. I liked it a lot. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of the shins in parts. Okay. Okay. Just had similar some similar sounds. Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's like there's a... You know what? This time period is 2008, so you know there's like still kind of hanging on to this idea of Americana, mm, the yeah. alt country kind of sound, and I think this kind of does grow out of that scene. But it's a, done in a way that's very appealing to me. Mm-hmm. And of course, his voice is very girlish, like a very very girlish voice, and so it gives the song a kind of a, a vulnerability as well to it that you don't often find in a lot of alt country. I don't think where it tends to take that kind of country machismo as part of the as a kind of a given part of the of the kind of overall structure of the songs whereas the song doesn't really have that as part of its sound mm, yeah okay well let's move on then we okay. both agree this song is good i hope you enjoyed it everyone out there let's 
also, let's go on to the next song, which is by the band Air, which I'm sure everyone's heard of Air. But I kind of feel like this album, which was uh, Talkie Walkie, mm-hmm. which sounds like a kind of a goofy title, but it's actually French for walkie talkie. Because, of course, in French, you put the adverb or you put the adjective after the verb. You so, swap them. So walkie is what you, you know, walkie is obviously, I guess when they looked at the word, they went, well, this is obviously the adjective walkie. And this is the, and this is what it's describing, talkie. So mm-hmm. we'll just reverse them and then it'll be right. And you're like, well, they're this one thing. It's like, they don't mean anything on their own. Like you could, you don't, no one says they're using a talkie. That's like a, a runny talkie. Yeah, but no one says they're using a walkie. But no one says they're using a talkie either. Yeah. But like. You just use a walkie talkie. It's one word. Yeah, but I mean, it, it's talking about talking and walking. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's nonsense. <laughs> so why not swap it? I guess so. It doesn't change the meaning. It doesn't. it means nothing. But I think they swapped it to, to make it to make it agree with French grammar, right? I guess so. Because in French grammar, the adjective follows the, the, the noun. Yeah, they should have called it a parler marché. A parler marché. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now you got it. Yes. So should we listen to the song? Yeah, let's give it a listen. This is a run from the album Walkie Walkie. I was just going to say, I just feel like, even though Air is a pretty well-known band, that this song kind of went under the radar, I feel like. Okay. Although I was when I was reading about it, it turns out it was used in television shows. It was used on Veronica Mars. Oh, that's right. How did you know? Oh, because you watched Because I watched Veronica Mars. And then you knew the song. And I know the song. So then you went, oh, I know this song. Mm. That's a fun But feeling. Rob Thomas has good music. Okay, so. there you go. Not that Rob Thomas. Not the, the match, one who created. Not the Maxbox. No, not, ma- not that one. The one who created Veronica Mars okay. and iZombie. But I saw I saw that other Rob Thomas live. Oh, really? Yeah, I went and saw Max, the Matchbox Veronica 20. Mars one or the other one. Matchbox Twenty oh, is that what they're called? Something like that. I, so. I didn't know who they were. I just I went to the show though. With them. Okay, let's listen to "Run" by Air from their album "Talkie Walkie" from three thousand and two. Just putting it into proper French order. Here we go. Thank you. 
right, so that was uh, Air with their song with their song Run. So this wasn't a surprise to you, Mary. You know this song, obviously. What, what do you think of this song, though? I like the song a lot. Yeah? Why mm-hmm. do you like it? I'll t- I can tell you why I like it, but you tell me why you like it. Um, Because it's fun. Okay. And? I don't know. <laughs> okay. What I really like about it is the hypnotic part of it. I love when they when their voice when they do the run 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 part oh yeah like that. and then it kind of like it the music like the synths i thought you didn't like synths the synths and the voices kind of melt together and, and it turns into like all this long word i just love that effect of it and then i like this the fact that say unlike on their first first album moon safari where they got beth hirsch to sing with them so they had like an english girl singing the songs in english with, a, with an english accent i love that on and then same on i troll the no, no, sorry. Four, I, used, I was going to talk about a Prefab Spread album there. On the album 10,000 Megahertz, their second album, where they have like they have guests singing on that album. I like on this album, they got rid of that idea of having guests sing the songs, and it's them singing the song as well. And you got that really appealing French-accented English, which I really like so much. You know, It kind of reminds me of Claudine Langer, a French singer who sang in English. And you get that kind of wonderful French accent that kind of affects how they pronounce the words. So I think that's great, too. Those are the things I love about this song, Mare. So, uh, did you know that Air are from Versailles? What? Yeah, I didn't know that. That's such a weird place to be from. I don't know. They lived in the palace grounds. No, they didn't. No, they did not. They lived in a little peasant's village, that little model village that Marie Antoinette had, had built for peasants to live in. That's where they grew up. They lived there. And they would spend time swimming in the uh, Venetian canals that were built on the Versailles, the Versailles properties. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're, just, you're disagreeing with me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. No, they were from Versailles. and But um, they met... They met each other kind of playing music, uh, Nicholas Godin and John Benoit Dunkel, who make up air. Godin was studying architecture and Dunkel mathematics before they formed a band in 1995. And so although Godin had been working alone as a musician, he'd actually done like some songs. He'd worked with members of Funkadelic, putting together a song. Uh, he released a solo, solo song called Modular Mix. But because he knew Dunkel from playing in bands and stuff like that, he, as air started to become more more of a pro- more of a working project with some possibility he immediately invited them to, to work on it together and i remember reading about them and saying like they couldn't really do like a band an album the way that you would say in the united states because they lived in paris at this time when they're doing when they were doing uh moon safari they and so they were doing most of the rehearsals and stuff in, in apartments in in paris which you know so they had to be really quiet and so their music kind of took on a much much almost sort of an analog element to it as well as being electronic because they needed like acoustic guitars to and you know stuff that wasn't really noisy for them to play with so they could rehearse together and that kind of informed what they do and i think that's another important part of their sound is that you know they do have that they do have like a dance element or like electronic element tunes but it's not like a like a real kind of party down sort of thing like you get with um daft punk let's say where that's very much kind of like you know that edm you know Mm -hmm. like everybody dance now like you know all about the big build-up to the to the Mm -hmm. all the strobe lights going off and stuff yeah the drop that's right and whereas air don't really have the drop in their music and i think that's and you know just kind of a part of how they started as a group you know incorporating like the analog the acoustic into the electronica and you get that really sort of appealing mix that you also find in bands like Stereo Lab. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they are very Stereo Lab. For sure, for sure. Yeah. I think they're, and I mean, Stereo Lab, because Letitia Sadier is French, obviously drew from a lot of like, uh, kind of, you know, French pop and stuff mm-hmm. and, and incorporated that into their sound the same way that, that um, the same same way that da- or that Air is, is drawing from it. Although 
air have said that they are not popular at all in France. Really? Their music doesn't, it's not popular there because it's not, it's not like the party, party down electronica of Daft Punk. That That's the kind of stuff that really sells there. Okay. There's a much hmm. more kind of a, it's more, more personal. Right. It's not really a communal celebration. It's more of a. No, it's true. Yeah. But it's very good. Yeah. You can't really dance to Ren, 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 Ren. I know. I like the fact also that they say Ren, 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 not Ren, Ren, Ren. Yeah. Their accent. That's wonderful. Wonderful, everyone. Okay, well, let's go on to the next song. What's this next song, Father? This next song, my dear, is uh, by Richard Hell and the Voidoids. The Voidoids? The Voidoids. That's right. Hmm. Was this <laughs> band named by someone with a stutter? <laughs> it was not. This song is uh, Walking on the Water. Or, sorry, Walk on the Water. And it is, I think it's called Walking on the Water on the album, though, but I don't know if it's the right title. Because it's a cover of a CCR song. Oh, really? Yeah. This song is a cover? Yeah. Of a CCR song? That's right. This is the first cover we've had? On this on this disc? Or ever? Ever. Possibly. I don't have to go back and look. Cool. Hey, Dad. Uh-huh. Are you a fan of CCR? I do. I, I'm a big fan of CCR. Why? Mm-hmm. I was wondering. Oh, but I, I'm a fan, but I'm kind of like a, a fan in the sense that I know them fairly well. When I was a teenager, mm-hmm. uh, I got as a gift, because I asked for it, I got a gift of their greatest hits. It was a double album set, nice. but this song was not on there because this was a B-side to one of their singles. Okay. It was on the album, but it's a B-side to one of their singles. So I would not, it wouldn't have been like on their greatest hits album because mm-hmm. it would have been the other song on the, the first side, which I think would have been, might have been Suzy Q. Although I think Suzy Q was a double, double eight, like a double A B-side because it's a part one and part two. So it's a different song from that album, but anyway, it doesn't matter. So, so yeah, so, um, Anyway, so it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter, Mary. I'm just thinking out loud. You know, I like to do that sometimes. I do. And that's when I stop paying attention. So. <laughs> Not great for podcasting. <laughs> it's great for podcasting. So then, so yeah, so I didn't really know this song. So my experience of this song is this band, hmm. Richard Hell and the Voidoids version of the song, which is like two minutes and 20 seconds long compared to the four minute, four and a half minutes version by, by CCR. Because hmm. theirs has way more like, way more kind of instrumental stuff going on in it. In fact, after you listen to this version, we'll play the CCR version. So we'll play this version first. So this is Richard Hell and the Void Eyes. We'll talk about it a little, little bit, and then we'll listen to CCR. How's that sound, everyone? So here we go. That's, this is uh, Walk on the Water.
All right. So that was uh, Mr. Richard Hell. Mm-hmm. Mr. Hell. Yes. Or as to his friends, Dickie. Dickie Hell. Dickie Hell. And the Voidoids. Mm-hmm. If you had a set, it would be the Voidoidoidoids. And Walk on the Water from their really good album, Blank Generation, that came out in 1977, Mary. Hmm. A long, long time ago. Wait. Okay. Hmm? Never mind. Can to say something? Nope. So yeah. So uh, what do you think of this song? Well. <laughs> you had thoughts. I didn't like it when it first started. Yeah. I thought it was a little bit too, like, punky dissonant, yeah. which you love. Mm-hmm. I don't love as much. Yeah. But then it went into the singing and this guitar part that I really liked. Yeah, yeah. But then it got a bit whiny with the vocals. Okay. But then the guitar got really good again. Yeah, yeah. So. Yes. It was kind of like a roller coaster. <laughs> it was like, ooh, like up and down, you know? That's great. And the song is so kind of weird. Like, it's such a mystery, right? Like, mm-hmm. the way it describes it, like, you feel like. Like a man walking in the water. When I first heard this, the song first started, I thought, oh, is this like Jesus walking across the water to this person? Like he's on the other side. But then he's like, it's at night and this person's walking in the water. And then he's making, once when he goes from him, this person's like, I don't want to go. And I know you say it's whiny, but I feel like that's a real part of this person's personality coming out. This kind of whiny, like right. feeling of fear. Right. I mean, I wasn't listening to the lyrics. Okay. I don't usually listen to the lyrics the first time I listen to a song. Okay. Okay. Um. So maybe if I listen to it again, I would get that more. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, no, and I've, I just I just like the f- kind of foreboding element to this song. And and I do think that the CCR version feels equally that way. And I can see why Richard Hell liked that song enough that he wanted to cover it for an album. And especially for a punk rocker in 1977, when, you know, everything was like burnt, you know, the burnt earth theory, where like everything that was post or pre-1975, let's say, was garbage, you know, and you just threw all that stuff away because you're remaking music in, in, a, in a different way. So Richard Hellmary, I don't know if you can believe this, but he was not born Richard Hell. What? I know. It's surprising, isn't it? He was born it? Richard Heaven. <laughs> he was born Richard Myers. Hmm, that's but he, funny. But he changed his name like his friend Tom Miller. So he had a friend named Tom Miller okay. that he met at high school. Okay. And they were really close friends. Okay. Super close friends. Right. They, 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 they ran away from school together. Hmm. They went to a different state. Okay. They got arrested for arson and troublemaking. Oof. They got returned back to their parents. Yes. Then they went to New York. Mm-hmm. And then they decided to remake themselves. And Richard Myers became Richard Hell, mm-hmm. which was taken from the Rambo poem or book Seasons in Hell. And okay. then... Not just taken from the place Hell. No, it actually came from the... Because they wanted to name themselves after French poets. So Tom Miller became Tom Verlaine. Mm. Oh, okay. Know his name? Yes. And then Richard Hell became... Richard Hell, because no. instead of being Richard Rambo, Richard Myers, became Richard, sorry, Richard Mel- Myers became Richard Hell. Yeah, and so I mean, Richard Rambo would be pretty cool. Would be pretty cool, but wait, was the movie Rambo out at that time? No, not yet. Oh, okay, that would have so. been a little later, seventy nine, I think. And in fact, the name Rambo comes from the poet Rambo, hmm. the author who wrote Rambo, which is R A M B O, of course, and Rambo, the poet, is R A M B A U D. But he was a college professor who decided to write a trashy novel just to make some money. But it's sort of like an inside joke. He named him after Rambeau, the French poet. Hmm. But anyway, so um, now Verlaine, of course, Tom Verlaine played guitar and Hell played bass. And they formed a group called the Neon Boys. That's a cool name. Which is a, yeah, it's a great name, right? And then they added a second guitarist, this guy named Richard Lloyd. Mm-hmm. So then they changed their name to Television. Okay, but worse name. Television's worse than Neon Boys? Yes. I think television's more evocative of what their sound was. Okay. Don't you think so? Or maybe I'm just used to the name television? I don't know. I just really like the name The Neon Boys. Yeah, that's good. But would you like a song by called Marquee Moon by The Neon Boys more than a song called Marquee Moon by television? Yes. <laughs> okay. That's an answer, as Ian likes to say. <laughs> um, 
so hell had an energetic stage presence he was a bouncy guy who liked to jump around on stage and mm-hmm. be really big and mm-hmm. and loud and he kind Just of like his namesake the n- devil yeah and he pretty much invented punk the punk look oh cool he Good for him he had the spiky he spiked up his hair okay he would like tear he would tear his clothes oh, okay and attach Put, like them, pins and use them safety pins to keep them together cool and malcolm mclaren who was in New York at that time, who briefly managed the New York Dolls mm. in his famous thing where he like used all this uh, communist China iconography and had them dress in red leather mm-hmm. and then tour the South. Mm. I think he would also do with the Sex Pistols. Yeah. Not quite with the same iconography, but would also have them tour the South yeah. as a way of just being provocative rather right. than as a good idea musically or yeah. as an agent or manager of a group who wants them to be a success. Yeah. Uh, but when he went back to England after destroying the New York Dolls career, he... He took back uh, Richard Hell's ideas back to England, and he incorporated them into his store, uh, into a shop, Sex, that he oh. ran with his wife, Vivian Westwood. Yes, I've heard of that store. Yeah. I've, I listened to an, a podcast episode about it, mm. where they interviewed the owners of it. Okay. Yeah. Vivian Westwood? Yes. Is she, I guess she's still around, but I don't think Malcolm McLaren's still alive. I don't. But yeah, so but the people who work there, like Jordan and stuff like that, uh, would be. And so, yeah, so then, so they incorporated into their, the fashions in the store. They used mm-hmm. Richard Hell styles and stuff like that. And Richard Hell was very bitter about it for a long time. And then he realized, you know what? Ideas, you know, aren't, ideas are free. Like ideas yeah. can't be like, you know, yeah. patented or whatever. And I mean, so. it's not, it's not very punk. Yeah. To get into To see. be like, <laughs> hey, let me get some royalties for that. Yeah. You yeah. know? It's not very punk. You're right. So Hell would leave television over disagreements with Verlaine about basically over control of the band. I think it was a big part of it. There were like kind of more minor issues, like like um, there was supposed to be like a 50-50 split on songwriting, but Verlaine was writing a lot of songs that he, and he wanted to play his songs. So he started kind of pushing Richard Hell's songs aside. Mm. And Hell maintained this sort of defiantly punk attitude. Right. Whereas Verlaine wanted it to be more like a, wanted them to be more of like a performing band. Okay. Not yeah. about like showing off and jumping around yeah. and being a, an idiot. He wanted it to be about music. And so Hell kind of was stuck in one place. His bass playing did not get any better than Tom Verlaine's guitar playing, which was like right. taking off into the stratosphere. Yeah. And, you know, the drummer and, was getting really good and Richard yeah. Lloyd was really good. And he was just kind of, this is a guy who was jumping around on stage. Mm-hmm. And it seems like he was more about the attitude and the performance and the music. Yeah, itself. exactly. And yeah. so Verlaine found that very irritating and, and felt like Hell's behavior on stage was detracting from the attention that he should be getting as, as Tom Verlaine. Mm-hmm. And then, um, yeah, and then also Verlaine started to refuse to play Hell songs as on the, as part, you know, during concerts. So Hell left the band, and then he promptly formed another band called the Heartbreakers with Johnny Thunders and Jerry Nolan, who had just left the New York Dolls uh, in a cloud of heroin powder. So they just left <laughs> in this big cloud of heroin powder. And But after less than a year, Hell, who also had a heroin problem, left that group and... And left with one of the, and also left behind like a great legacy of songs with them. Four songs, I think, but also the great song Chinese Rocks, which is mm. a fabulous song. And then um, better than the Ramones version. Do you think those firecrackers are going to be audible? Maybe. I don't know. Oh, I love Halloween. It's so great. <laughs> Here in Canada, we've talked about a new sneaky dragon, but in Canada, well, not in Canada, I should say, in Vancouver, unlike the rest of Canada, Halloween is a time to celebrate with, with firecrackers and fireworks. Yes. So it's very much a part of our of our thing. Yes, it is. It's like the Fourth of July here. Yes, that's right. Where it's just fire, all firecrackers all the time. Yeah. For like the week around Halloween. That's a lot of fun. It reminds me of my youth when I was a teenage boy. I love a firecrackers. Hoodlum. I love firecrackers. I love playing with a firecrackers. Little, little hoodlum. I like blowing things up. I yeah. liked it all. 
I like Roman candle fights. Yeah. I like breaking the stick off of a bottle rocket and lighting it so it would randomly fly who knows where, possibly into someone's eye. We didn't know. We just did it. We didn't care. Dummies. We're still here. Didn't you watch that video where still here to you tell the tale. got to see someone whose fingers got blasted off by... No, we never got to see a video like that. We just played with fireworks. Did you have someone come into your school and show, show nope, you? Nope, never did. We had one about car accidents in grade mm. 12, but not about uh, fire firecracker stuff. Did you have to watch one, like a work BC one, where someone's arm got pulled into a thing and it got all flattened? Nope. Did you have to watch one where their legs got pulled into a thing and they didn't have legs anymore? Nope. I think... We just went out there. We went out there blithely unconcerned yeah. with. I feel things. like school really took a, a like an, a a George Bluth from Arrested Development way of yeah. teaching us. Yeah. With his like one armed man who he would hire, and bring in to scare the kids into uh into doing things. Yeah. Like leaving yeah. a note. <laughs> yes. So so then I, um, Hell was with the Heartbreakers for for a few months. Then he left in 1975, and he formed a new band. Which he called the heart, which he called the Voidoids, which Mary, it's not because he had a stutter, but because they were after, after characters in a novel he was writing. So he thought that was a cool name, and so he called the band the Voidoids. So he just made it up? Yeah. Okay. So he recruited Robert Quine, the guitarist Robert Quine, mm-hmm. who he had worked with in a bookstore, so he knew Robert Quine. Okay. And then the other guitarist, was Ivan. He a guitar player in the bookstore? Well, no, but he knew he played guitar because oh, okay, he worked okay. in the bookstore. Okay. And Robert Quine's kind of an interesting guy. He, he, um, a few years ago, these tapes came out that he had recorded of the Velvet, uh, the Velvet Underground, um, like playing live. He just would bring a tape recorder and, and record the band, and he did that all the time. And so he had tons of these tapes, and they put them out. Like uh, they found that you know, they got the tapes and they cleaned them up and they put them out because they were just like these pristine records of the Velvet Underground's shows from that time period. Cool. Unfortunately, Robert Quine suffered from depression, but um, guitarist Ivan Julian came in from an ad in the Village Voice. And then they stole the drummer Mark, uh, Mark Bell from the uh, New York band Wayne County and the Electric Chairs. And yeah, it's Robert Quine who I think is playing a lot of the. Well, it's hard to say. Like I would like to listen to that song again. In um, now that I've list- read these notes or did the research because I didn't know this before I read up on it. But on the album, they did like they really gave it like a wide stereo spectrum for the guitars. So both Quine and Julian played Fender Telecasters, which gives like a really, they have a real sharp sound. They tell it really like, like a really trebly sound. Mm-hmm. And so that's part of like why the, so- the sound of that, the songs have that kind of really high pitch to them. Not it's not just Richard Hell's whininess, but also the guitars are kind of whiny too. But so Quine is panned to the right and Julian's on the left. So when the guitar is on the right, that's Quine playing. And when it's on the left, it's Julian. So I'm really kind of interested in listening to who it is. But Quine really likes to play that weird uh, kind of broken guitar sound that he plays, oh, okay. you know, that you enjoyed. Because it is like a really great sound, isn't it? It's very exciting sound. Oh, yeah. Sound. I really liked it. I really liked the guitar mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. There's a few good songs in album. When Love Comes in Spurts is fabulous. Blank Generation is fabulous. They're really good songs. And all the guitar in them is, is great. And like I say, Walk on the Water is a cover song by Clearance, Clearwater, Clearance, Credence, sorry, Credence Clearwater Revival from their very first album, from their de- debut album. Let's give it a listen just so we can hear the difference between um, the two songs. Maybe the similarities, because I do think there's similarities also. So let's give it a listen. Last night, I went for a walk down by the river near my home. Couldn't believe with my home eyes, and I swear I'll never leave my home again. 
right, Mare, so what did you think of uh what did you think of Creedence Clearwater Revival's version of their own song, Walk on the Water? It was good. I thought Richard Hell's version was better. Yeah? Yeah. Oh, interesting. Well, we'll leave that up to uh, listeners out there. I agree with you. Oh, cool. I think, you know, I think they're both interesting, but um yeah, and I think they both have that kind of foreboding feeling to them. Yeah. Like, I think CCR's is too long. Mm, mm. I think uh I think what's interesting is about both of them, I really find it fab- fascinating the 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 lyrical idea. Not okay. Let's let's pretend that the song really is about Christ crossing the water to someone, mm-hmm. like walking on the water, and saying, "Follow, come follow me." And the person is like, "I don't want to go." Yeah, like I think that's an interesting part of it that you wouldn't. There would would be, would would have been people, and I guess there were people at that time. I mean, there is a story of the the rich, the son of the rich man who comes to Christ and says, "I want to." follow you and then Christ says well you've you know you have to give away all your possessions mm-hmm. you know and then so he says the famous eye of the needle thing and then and this guy just says like and he just leaves he's like oh forget it like I can't I can't yeah. do that and he goes so I guess you know I guess it was people have people did say that yeah I don't, I don't want to go mm-hmm. that isn't that kind of an interesting story though this idea of like were there some fishermen who were fishing with Peter and the rest of the people, and Christ said, come follow me, I'll make you fishers of man. The guy's like, F, no, I'm not going with... Who are you? Yeah, who are you, buddy? Yeah. Hit the road, pal. Well, yeah, I mean, especially when you consider, like... But someone who came, walks across the water to you, you'd think they'd have extra, an extra sense of, like, power or mis- mis- yeah. mis- mystery or mystique but, like, or whatever. But, not necessarily in a good way. In a good way, yeah, right? yeah, that's like, right. That's scary that's power. How, that's what demons can do, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, that's right, yeah. But, like, I mean, if you think about... I feel like it's hard for us to understand, but, like, how difficult it was to uh get information you sure. know at that time yeah, yeah right where like you could live like three villages away mm. and like just never know anything yeah. about those people right no, exactly. like yeah. you couldn't go there easily yeah and why would you right if there's nothing if there's not like if you have a market in your town yeah then like why would you go there mm-hmm. right people you don't have any reason to go there if there's not like you don't have any to go there to trade things or to sell yeah. things yeah to buy things mm-hmm. you don't have family there it's so far away, right? You'd have to walk there. Who is bringing messages there? Why would you know someone who lives there? Yeah, yeah. It's not like, oh, I went to elementary school with someone and they moved there, <laughs> right? Like, that's not... Yeah, yeah. It's just like a totally different way of... Yeah. Like, just a totally different society. Like, societies were so much smaller. Yeah, more insular, yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, something that I like to bring up, you know, just the fact that when we visit your mom's relatives in Rons, you mean Rons? In Rons in uh, England, near Northampton... But, you know, like the next town, which was just like a minute's drive away, they had a different accent. Yeah. Because, well, yeah. you know, a hundred years ago, the people just never, they did not see each other. No, of course not. You know, because there was just absolutely no reason to, to, why would you go to that town? Yeah. Those people over there, those people in Hyam Ferris, Hyam Ferris people, <laughs> I need to know them. Not as good as people from Ron's, that's for sure. Yeah. So I just find it, it's, a, it's an interesting song. And I put it on there because I'm an interesting person. But also, I just wanted a little bit of contrast before we get to our final song, Mary. Yes. Which is a bit of a slow burn. Yes. You know, it's a little slower. It's a little more of a stately song. And I wanted something to end end that the side with. And this album, by the way, is very lopsided, everyone. Like, I, there's way more songs on side one, one than there is on side two. And in fact, and also I didn't put enough songs on it because I left a couple, I left at least I left I left at least five minutes of songs off of here, so <laughs> I feel really badly for that, you know. And uh, maybe next week or next next bye week, I should say, I will suggest a couple of alternative tracks hmm. to fill the space on this album. But anyway, and I would be interested in um, hearing where you would put them as well. Mm. 
Yeah. Because right? imagine you probably don't want to change your ender, your closer for no. the album. No, I don't. Right. So, yeah. where what songs would you sandwich the sandwich this yeah, new yeah. edition between? Right. Sure. But we can talk about that next week. We will. Just something to think next about. Next bye week. Next bye week. Yes. Yeah. Next fortnight. <laughs> and I'm. I hate to tell you this, Mary, but the term bye week is taken off with the listeners. <sighs> don't it. So fortnight. It's old hat. It's for old people. Bye week is the new. Bye week is the new. I don't know what it is the new of. It's a new thing. It's the new top hat of uh, podcasting. Means remember, you remember how popular top hats were no. like a year ago? No. Everyone's wearing them. No. Everyone's talking about them. No. It was like in all no. the newspapers. Nope. Every video that nope. you saw, people would nope. Instagram them. <laughs> I also like how you said among podcasters, as if the hat that podcasters were wearing yes. would be like known and the, noticeable. Yeah. Everyone knew. Everyone's like, I was like, man, this show's good. I bet you he's wearing a top hat. Yeah. That was well, um, that was the thing I said all the time at that time. Period. I always wear a three-piece suit Yeah. when I do this podcast. Yeah, of course you do. Me, I wear a boiler suit because I feel like I'm a working man. Yes. And I need to be dressed for like, just in case there's any kind of spill or whatever. Yeah, no, I'm absolutely. dressed for it. Yeah. You know, so I wear a three-piece, like I wear a, I wear a boiler suit. I have a tool belt with a mm-hmm. hammer, a yeah. tape measure, yep. screwdriver, a yes. uh, utility knife, mm-hmm. and a, some rope mm-hmm. and a bit of tape. Mm-hmm. And also string. Right. And then also... Uh, a grappling hook. <laughs> grappling hook and a battering. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so, the next song, the final song, everyone, I put my notes down somewhere, is is Low from their album, The Great Destroyer, which came out in uh, some time ago. <laughs> so, was it... So, not this year. 2000-something. Okay. 2003, maybe? Okay. 2005. It's close. Pretty close. Pretty close. What's this song called? This is called Silver Rider. Okay. R I D E R. Silver Rider from the Great. Silverado? The Great Destroyer. Here we go, everyone. Slow burn.
okay, Mary. That was low. We've heard low before. Yes. I had I had them I had had them on a, a post punk collection that I did for Stephanie Felice. Well, for St- Stephanie They're Felice's husband boyfriend. And wife? No, she was a, uh, her boyfriend. Oh, the, this band, her husband and wife. Yes. Yes, Ellen Sparhawk and Mimi they Sparks. They are the one who. They were a response to the grunge scene, right? That's right. right that's right. They decided to, wouldn't it be hilarious to, to go on stage in the midst of the grunge the grunge revolution and just play really quietly. It's kind of hilarious. I think it's hilarious. And the other hilarious thing, I think, though, is that they, this band that reacted to grunge, was a reaction to grunge, this was their first album for Sub Pop, the Ur-Grunge label. I mean, basically yep. the Seattle label that released, you know, the first Nirvana album that signed Mudhuddies had Soundgarden. You know, I don't know if they had them, but, you know, they were part of the support of that, that whole scene. And, yeah, and then they signed Low, this uh, slowcore band who were a reaction to grunge. But I think that this album, and this song is kind of a rea- uh, an example of that, because I think this, because even though I put a song by them, a later song by them, uh, as a post-punk, you know, kind of inspired later song, contemporary song uh this song i think is much more inspired by kind of like neil young kind of like his sort of music it has a kind of real feeling of like kind of uh california rock but you know with that kind of neil young sort of like guitar rock kind of thing going mm-hmm. on you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's more that way i wouldn't use this as an example of post-punk really so i don't think they're like a post-punk band i just think that that song they wrote that i used last time what part of me is was the one that we we had on the show i thought that um you know that song to me was very, you know, had a kind of res, you know, had elements of it that that resembled post punk. But this in no way it would be that. We would no, consider that. no, this is way more like kind of a rock song. But just using like the basic elements of the band again, though, which is Alan Sparhawk on guitar, Mimi Sparks on drum, and then Zach Sally, the guitarist Zach Sally on on bass. And the song tells a, a story that the album hints at a little bit, which is which is the. It, uh, the story called the Silver Rider versus the Great Destroyer, and there's and so um, this song kind of has a bit of that. The album is a concept album, but it has some songs that tell the story. That's also referenced in the artwork on the on the the album cover as well. So yeah, but what do you think of this song? Okay, so I think that this is my reaction. to This song was based in the context of the mixtape. Okay, um, but I thought it was kind of boring. Okay, but. I acknowledge that if this had been on uh, maybe like a more, like a mix that had more like, you know, punkier, mm. faster, yeah. harder songs, yeah. I would have been like, oh, nice, a good slow song. Yeah, yeah. But because it was, it had been preceded by so many slower songs. Yeah. I was just kind of like, mm, another one that doesn't really stand out to me that much. Okay. It's kind of longer. It's kind of like even like slower than a lot of the ones we've heard already, yeah. which are already like pretty like low, you know? Um, so that was my reaction to it. Okay. But again, I think if I heard it in a different context, I would probably like it more. I see. I see. And also, you sh- I don't know. I think if you listen to the whole CD, it'll sound better in, in the whole context as well. Like with the next song that comes um, comes in the in the mix. Yes, which I've not heard yet. You've not so. heard yet, yeah. So, so yeah, so that's um, yeah, so that's that's the the mix so far, Mary. That's side one anyway. Yes, it we is. We end with the great with the Sil- with Silver Rider. Yeah, I don't know. I when I heard the song, I just thought, oh, this song is just perfect for a kind of mid album, 
a mid mixtape song, and I just immediately be, I became earmarked. And I, but I think I got this CD the same time I got the Super Furry Animals. Actually, oh okay, I bought it in the same in the same CD uh, splurge that I like to do every once in a while because I don't get to go CD shopping very much. When I do, it tends to be a lot of CDs that I end up getting mm. an embarrassing amount. Right. It happened recently. I was helping my friend Nina move, and and we went we went on a commercial drive for to have something to eat, and then we were near Rock uh, Audio Pile, and I went, oh, I uh, just gonna pop in there for a second, and then it was just like it was it was like she was watching like a like a person with an illness, like you know, like some sort of obsessive illness, like mm-hmm. caught in the act of being, you know, yeah. like, I just had like this giant pile of CDs, and I was just like, this is so embarrassing. You were but, like, you yeah. were like trying to like push cats. Like under a bed. Like, no, I don't have this many cats. Exactly. I have like a normal number of cats. It's fine. I'm a normal person. Don't judge me. Yeah. It's, uh, it can be weird. Yes. How much I I like music. It's true. You know, I was talking to someone the other day who was like, yeah, you know, I listen to music like three or four times a year. (laughs) What? Yeah. He was like, yeah, you know, like I was in like CBC on the way to work. Okay. Um, but like if they'll play music, I'll just turn it off and I'll just like drive in silence. I was like, you're a monster. Are you a person? Are you like a real human being yes. who exists on the planet? No, there are people who don't like music. I work with someone like that as well. They'd rather listen to talk radio than listen to music yeah. radio. Yeah. And like, I like podcasts. And music is meaningless to them. Yeah. It's the same with this guy. And he's like, yeah, yeah like, I don't really like going to parties. You know, like, I'd rather just like sit and talk with people. But I don't really yeah. like when I go, then there's like music playing. Cause... Well, uh, I would agree with that person on that point. I don't really yeah. like music at parties because it's just too, partly because I have yeah. trouble hearing people in, in with a, a lot of ambient yes. sound. I fair th- I find that fair. But for him, it's because he just doesn't like music. Yeah. So it's like, it makes no sense to him yeah, yeah. why people would get together and play music. Yeah. Like it just, he can't even comprehend it. Yeah, it's funny. Yeah, I mean, if you're having a listening party, of course, that's different than a, a listening party is different. Like if I went to a listening party and people insisted on talking during the listening party, I would be very upset. That's why I get so upset when I keep talking during our listening parties. I'm regularly kicking the cat here at home. What? What? You're kicking the cat? Yeah, because I'm angry. But you're angry at yourself for talking. That's right. So why would you take it out on our poor cat, Risa Bisa? <laughs> well... Meow, meow, meow. Risa Bisa, meow, meow, meow. He's her full name. It's her confirmation name. <laughs> That's right. She was baptized. She did not like getting baptized. <laughs> she sure didn't. I'm kidding. I don't kick cats. We also didn't baptize our cat. <laughs> she is unable to get communion. She's unable to get communion. Yeah, That's right. She, she hasn't not been baptized. baptized. That's true. She would have hated it. She, would have hated, she wouldn't like communion either. She's not into bread. It's true. Or wine. That's true. She does wine, though. True. <laughs> 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 she doesn't have, like, an appealing... It's funny when you, when you, uh, when, like, cat, like cats meow, like, on television or whatever, they, it's a real, like, meow. Yeah. It's, like, appealing and stuff. But then when you actually hear actual people's cats, yeah. they just sound like a crow. <laughs> yeah. This is literally, like, I'm not <laughs> exaggerating. This is exactly what our cat sounds like. Yeah. She will, like, sit at the door. <laughs> 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 and you, like, open the door for her, and she'll just, like, look at you, like, and you're like go outside and she's like and she like turns around and walks away and then you like hear her and she's like and she's sitting at another door you're like why didn't you go at the first door and she's like and you're like oh it's true she just she has the least appealing meow but apparently cats don't meow to each other they just meow to us i've heard that so although they do yowl at each other they don't yeah they do yowl at each other that's for sure there's yeah, often we'll hear that late at night. Yeah. Because it, it'll be our cat or another local cat. Orange cat. Fighting with orange cat. Yes. The antagonistic neighborhood cat. <laughs> That's true. No one likes orange cat. No one likes orange cat. But you know what? Orange cat was uh, up on our deck spying on, spying on the chickens the what? other day. I know. No way. I know. Get out of here, orange cat. That's what I said. So Ugh. I went to our back door 
or but we have a French doors in the back. So yeah. I opened the back door really carefully. I made yeah. a noise and he looked around and I just stood there silently. Yeah. And he started looking at the chickens again. So then I further opened the knob, made a noise. He looked around. I just stood there silently. Yeah. And he looked back at the chicken. So then I finally got it open uh-huh. and I started to push it open and I realized, oh, it starts going to creak as I open it. Uh-huh. So then I just threw it open and I came running out at him. <laughs> And he went, and he jumped off the deck, <laughs> he jumped off the deck. And took off. And I was like, don't you come back, cat. Get out of here, orange cat. Stupid he orange cat. He is antagonistic. Yeah, he's the worst. You guys, he's bad. He's a bad cat. His name is Orange Cat. <laughs> and he's been around the neighborhood for like a hundred years. Right. He's ageless. He is deathless. <laughs> and he's antagonistic. And he doesn't like any other cat. He doesn't like any other cat. And he and wants he to always, eat our chickens. Yeah, he, he, he's a very yowly cat. Yeah. Oh yeah. well, but he's a character. He is keeps the neighborhood keeps the neighborhood jumping. Yeah, it's true. Good old orange cat. He was yeah. in the middle of the road when I came home the other day too. Oh yeah, he was hanging out at the neighbor's house. Mm. I was like, don't you guys know he's a bad guy? <laughs> I was like, I don't know if you want to see be seen fraternizing with orange cat. They'll really put you at odds with the other neighbors. They're pretty new, so been around here for a while. Orange cat has been too, and we do not get along. That's right. Let me tell you. I hope you don't have a cat because orange cat will beat him up. It's true. He will. All right. When we first got, when Risa first became an outside cat and I would hear them yowling, yeah. I was like, oh my God, someone is torturing our cat. <laughs> nope, just orange cat yowling away. <laughs> Speaking clear, his, uh, where, where does his, his, his territory. Yeah. This is mine. Okay. Should we stop talking about cats? We should start talking about cats. Okay. Because this is not cats or us. What's that? Or how about we call the show? The Listening Purry. Listening Purry. <laughs> it's good. I was going to call it. Like up with cats or just cats up. Okay. No, that's bad. Oh. Why? Yeah. Well Why? Why? It sounds like a ketchup podcast. <laughs> That'd be bad. You're like, oh I love ketchup. I'm gonna listen to this show. And then it's cats just, up. And then it's just us talking about local cats <laughs> in our neighborhood. Cats in our neighborhood, yeah. <laughs> and and then like, there's oh, black cat. cat. There's black cats, you know, and then sometimes you see gray cat. I saw a little I saw a little baby looking cat today. Oh yeah. In Calico. Oh, nice. There's also another orange cat, but he's orange and white. Oh, okay. And then the one we don't see anymore is the... Uh, Grady. Grady. Oh, I miss Grady. Or as I called him, you know my name for him? What? Rabbit rabbit face motherfucker. Oh, yeah, he did call him that. <laughs> he had a rabbit <laughs> he face. He had tufty little ears. But he had a rabbit and face. And he had like he a... weird looking. He had like a weird short tail. Mm-hmm. And it was like kind of crooked. Yeah. Like it got like cut off and then also caught in like a door or something. It was like <laughs> yes. crooked. Yeah. And tufted ears. Tufted ears. Yeah, he was cute. He was and super he, cute. um, yeah, he he's gone now. I think his, maybe his owners moved away. I hope or so. Or he, he died in that big windstorm. He there was a big windstorm, and, and then we didn't was, see him again. Yeah, or he just got scared by it and left. It's true. Could have been that too. Who knows? So long, Grady. We hardly knew ye. Yeah, it was like three years ago. And speaking of knowing ye, also his, he was gray. Yeah. Hence the same Grady. That's right. Oh, also today, Dad and I were walking. Okay, we had quite a day, but we were walking (laughs) home from a car stall. Anyway, we were walking home from a car being stalled, and we passed this house, and I was like, oh, remember that time that me and Eve were little kids, and Mom decided to steal a cat from that house? Yes. Yeah. And then... That's that's kind of a a little too shorthand for what actually happened, but that's okay. Um... We borrowed, we borrowed a cat from this. So we had this cat yeah. at our house. Without asking. And then someone came and knocked on the door <laughs> and said, um, I think you have my cat. Yeah. And we did. Yeah. It was incredibly embarrassing. Pretty embarrassing. That day taught me shame. <laughs> what a horrible lesson. <laughs> it's one, one no one should learn. But I guess it comes to us all. Yes. In the form of knock, knock, knock. Um, you guys have my cat? <laughs> 
<laughs> and then we would walk to school and see that cat. Yeah. And say, hi, cat. We stole. <laughs> I think his name is Johnny. Johnny. Johnny Cat. Yeah. Johnny was a wandering cat, which we didn't realize. I think everyone thought he was just a stray that was not owned by anyone since he was everywhere around the neighborhood. And she took him in. We got him cleaned up. Yeah. Yeah, we did. Yeah. We bought food for him. Bought food for him. And then the people came and they took him away. <laughs> <laughs> Hope they appreciated that we got him all clean up for, yeah. for them. Got all his fur and all, all his matting, mats the matted fur taken out and everything. Yeah, we cleaned I up. I mean, Risa nice. gets pretty matted too. So I don't know if we're really ones to judge more, but. <laughs> yes, it's true. But it's the life of an outdoor cat. Life of a cat that hangs around outside, yeah. All right, Mary. Well, enough of the listening purry. <laughs> how about tell our listeners mm. how they can uh, get in touch with us? Email us. E- email us. <laughs> okay. Email us. <laughs> email at, us. Um, <laughs> at, <laughs> at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. Um, or follow us or go to sneakydragon.com and comment on the forums there. Meow. We've got a, a, a page for every episode. You can comment there. Um, you can also Meow. follow us at sneaky underscore dragon Meow. on Twitter. Right? Meow, meow. Also, you can follow Dad at Dave Dedrick, or you can follow us on Facebook at Sneaky Dragon. Meow. Yeah, that's it. Well, that's great, Mare. Yeah. Thank you for that. You're getting really good at it. Thank you. This was your best yet. Really? I give you... Even though... I give you a C- for effort. Well, that's not great. That's really good. That means I must have been pretty terrible Well, before. let's not talk about that time. <laughs> let's just say that Hold it's on. all up here from... Okay. I can't give you an A now. We're not even done the show yet. We're only at our first anniversary, Mary. I guess that's true. Episode 27, everyone. Rock on. I'm doing the rock on symbol right now with my hand in the air. In fact, I'm going to even get more excited. I'm going to do both of them, two hands in the air, rock on, listening party, episode 27. I want to thank everyone out there for joining us on this journey. We really appreciate it. We're going to come back in a bye week. Mm-hmm. With, with the, the listening s- purry. The listening purry. Meow. And we're going to we're gonna do, uh, do side two. Of Dylan O'Connell's mixtape. Dylan O'Connell's mixtape, side two. And then we're going to have a special Christmas, a couple of Christmas episodes. Ooh. So that's going to be fun. We're going to have a special guest and we're going to do some Christmas episodes. We won't see who the guest is yet. I'll leave that to you to I think I know judge. who it is. You can, I'm sure you do, Mary. We'll leave it to other listeners to guess. Let me just say that he's uh, been in a lot of our shows. But not... He or, he or she has been in a lot of our shows. But not listening party. But not listening party. Because no. we haven't had any guests yet, we except for had... that one time I was sick and Eve had to cover for That's me. Right. That time because that you, I lost my voice. You lost your voice. That's right. That one show where you sloughed off your, your responsibilities. Well. No wonder you're only getting a C minus. I, I didn't have no But voice. it's all up, Mary. All up. It would have been like, contact us. <laughs> it was bad. That wouldn't have been I also would have been like, <laughs> <laughs> You know who I should have got to uh, do the show with me? Who? Risa Bisa. Meow, meow, meow. Meow. That would have been good. Meow. Although she wouldn't have gone, meow. She would have gone, meow. <laughs> so what do, you think of that? what do you think of that song, Risa? Meow. We didn't like it very much. Meow. Oh, that's too bad. Well, uh, let me tell you a little bit about this band. Really got, what? Wait, what's, what are you trying meow. to say? <laughs> meow. Quit interrupting. Meow. You're a real monopolizer of the show, Risa. <laughs> she wants food. You only okay. gave her wet food. You have to give her wet food and dry food. That's right. That's and then problem. she doesn't actually eat the dry food. Yeah. But it has to be there, too. Yeah. Or else she goes, meow. <laughs> <laughs> she likes them together. We she don't does. know why. We don't know why. It's a base. It's all about texture. It's like a. Um, it's all about texture. What is it? A garnish. Garnish. Yeah, a little garnish, garnish on the sides. And parsley. An expensive garnish. Cat parsley. Yes. Okay. We thank you for listening to us. Like I said already, 
I'll say it one more time. We really appreciate it as we celebrate our one-year anniversary. And then we will see you all in a bye week for episode 28. It's just back to the grind, Mary. We celebrate this week. Mm-hmm. I forgot to mention, everyone, we went out for dinner together. We had a we had a seven-course meal, lobster thermidor, mm-hmm. escargot, caviar, mm-hmm. yes. champagne, yes. magnums of champagne. Uh-huh. Champagne was flowing like nobody's business. Yes. It was like we had won the Super Bowl. Yep. And, uh, but Did they get a lot of champagne after they were in the Super Bowl? Yep. They sprayed okay. in each other's faces. That's why they wear ski goggles. Okay. They didn't used to, but that. nowadays people realize, oh, this is really dangerous. We should yeah. probably wear some eye protection. And uh, people, can only, people could only win one Super Bowl. Their eyes were so champagne. <laughs> so champagne coated. They're just like blind. <laughs> blind after winning. Exactly. And so, yeah, we, we, just, we just appreciate your, uh, your contributions to this show. It's been really great. So, that being said, mm-hmm. get out of here. Okay, bye. See you next week. Bye. No, two weeks. Two weeks. In a bye week. Fortnite. Bye. Bye week. Meow. Fortnite. Count of 17. One, unnecessarily two, high. three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen, fifteen, Why? sixteen, seventeen. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the listening party. My name is David Dedrick. Mary Dedrick. Speak up, Mare. My name is Mary Dedrick. There you go. So, uh, actually, Mare, yes. we're going to start again. What? But you've counted a 17. I'm not happy with your sound of your sound. If you count to 17 again, I'm quitting the show. All right. On the count of 16. No. One, two, Ugh. three, four, five. This is dumb. Six, this is a dumb seven. bit. It's, it's, not, not, it's not even in the show. No, it's not. It's a bit. Not. It's not a bit. It is. Eight. Just because it's on the show doesn't mean it's on a bit. Ten, it's a bit. Eleven. Twelve. Thirteen. I'm leaving. No, this is you're being so ridiculous. I'm leaving the show. I'm quitting. I quit. You can't Bye. quit. Bye. I can. Show. I can quit the show. You can't quit the show. I can. You're the most popular part of the show. That is untrue. It's not untrue at all. You're the most popular part of the show. No, you're the most popular part of the show, Mare. No, I'm not. Sixteen. Oh my- <laughs> <laughs> Stupid. <laughs> So dumb. (laughs) Start the show, Dad.